Great stories make us feel wonder. They also make us feel grief, joy, love, or even some temptations to sin and many other emotions. Yet some of the greatest stories also help us to ask big questions about God, ourselves, and the world. They can help us practice thinking about the deep stuff, which we call philosophy. In this episode, Phil Ossophy Lawler, the founding father of Adventures and Odyssey and writer-director of hundreds of those episodes, rejoins us to explore how Christian stories can train us in renewing our minds. Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the often thinky podcast from Lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory. I'm E. Steamer Burnett, the publisher of Lorehaven and co-author of The Pop Culture Parent. This is episode 174, How Can Fantastical Stories Train Christian Fans in Philosophy? Zach got so inspired by our interview with Phil Lawler that you will hear in just a moment that he had to go out into the world to try some philosophy on an unsuspecting victim. Uh, In all realness, he is on a secret mission. Maybe we'll hear more about that uh, when he gets back into the studio for our next episode. This is a fascinating one. And I think while I was brainstorming the topic, I didn't quite realize how foundational this topic is to fantastical truth. It is literally right there in the name. Uh, We could have a podcast that only focuses on the stories themselves, the tropes, the histories, the fun stuff, the character twists. We do a lot of author interviews. We talk about those things for sure. Uh, And yet we also stubbornly insist on bringing in the thinky bits. It's not just fantastical, but it's also truth. I think the reason why we try to reconcile these two different magic systems is that they are not so different. Uh, We as Christians have the idea of philosophy, truth-seeking, or wisdom-seeking at the very heart of our faith. God is love, it is true, and yet God is also truth. And stories are the training ground where we practice reconciling both of those. We are pretending that the story is true in order to get hold of real truths, but not just reading and nonfiction. We are exploring an imaginary world of people. Uh, doing what I would call putting flesh on these truths. That's why it's so important that stories behave realistically, I would say. Uh, They have to at least somewhat resemble the real world, even in a fantasy or science fiction world, so that we can recognize where the story uh, actually benefits our world. We're going to get into that with Phil Lawler. Of course, he is the uh, godfather, the co-creator of Adventures and Odyssey, and a current writer on the show, uh, bringing philosophy back, although it never really left. It's very cool. Uh, Odyssey had uh, influenced my childhood and my adulthood for a very long time, helping to train me from an early age to appreciate not just great stories, not just biblical virtues, but also philosophy, but also these big questions about who am I, why am I here, uh, that are underneath uh, the supposedly smaller questions like, should I cheat on a test? Like, should I break into wit's end? You know, what do we do if there's a villain trying to take over town? All those things are related to philosophy, and I think you will see how those relate to all the other stories that we explore as part of Lorehaven. That would include our top sponsor for this episode, which is once again returning champion Enclave Publishing with their new book, Sky of Seven Colors, just released today, I believe. Yes, Sky of Seven Colors releases August the 8th, release day for this show. In a strange part of the forest, the divide between worlds grows thin. Enclave Escape presents Sky of Seven Colors, the new novel by Rochelle Nelson. After the accident, Meg would do anything to wake her best friend from his deadly coma. 
At least, that's what she whispered into the woodland shadows. She never imagined her wish would trap her in a gray other earth, void of any color. With her heart torn between earths, Meg's choices may cost more than she knows. Available as of today, wherever fantastic books are sold, you can order now online or ask for Sky of Seven Colors by Rochelle Nelson at your favorite bookseller or at your local library. That's a hardcover for now, but it's also available in audiobook form from Oasis Audio. You can get all those links in our show notes for episode 174 or for this and all the other sponsors, go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. Coming up for sponsor two, we will have EJ Kitchens with the I Write course. And then a new sponsor arrives for sponsor three. Uh, that is Michelle Brun with her young adult epic fantasies, Song Flight, and its sequel, Storm Dance. All right, Phil decided to go simple this time. There's no imagination station launch. Uh, there's no fantastical vehicle. He's just going to walk from his famous Adventures in Odyssey studio into the Lorehaven studio. So let's welcome him now. Returning guest Phil Aller just walked in through the studio door. A very ordinary entrance for an extraordinary fellow. He started his performing career at the tender age of five and has won numerous acting awards in high school and studied music, screenwriting, and directing in college. Phil then worked with Focus on the Family, co-creating Adventures in Odyssey and writing hundreds of episodes and directing even more. He also co-developed the hit comedy series Jungle Jam and Friends, the radio show, as well as the animated video series Little Dogs on the Prairie. He's also been a writer and consultant for the television series, The Wubbleous World of Dr. Seuss, and he resides in Arizona with his wife and son, and uh, for the next hour or so, he resides in the studio. Phil, welcome back to Fantastical Truth. Oh, this is great to be here. I think I walked into that door before I walked through it. It's one of those uh, automated uh, Star Trek doors, and we forgot to have the guy on the other side of the plywood pulling the string. Exactly. (laughs) So, Phil, before we get started, uh, we always like to ask a new or returning guest uh, how they discovered both biblical truth, that is the gospel, Uh, and uh, fantastical stories like fiction, really great stuff that helps you appreciate the gospel. uh, Well, I I grew up in a Christian home. Um, uh, My heritage on both sides of my family goes way, way, way back as far as Christianity is concerned. Um, my, uh, My last name, Lawler, was originally Lollard with a D on the end of it. And the Lollards were followers of John Wycliffe. And we were uh, reformers before there were reformers, basically. Um, Lollard basically is a, uh, uh, is a, it's a it, it, means, it means a lot of different things. It can mean a lot of different things. But um, one of the things that, that we, like to, we like to put a, a positive spin on it is that it means poor preacher, poor preacher. And but really and truly, it was something that uh, everybody uh, who wasn't a Lollard or who wasn't a follower of John Wycliffe, the religious establishments back in those days, were making fun of us because we spoke in low tones, literally soft tones, because we were, you know, we were, we were counter, counter the church, counter the, you know, the mainstream church at that point. And so it just sounded like what we were saying was la, 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 la. <laughs> And so they call it, oh, they, these are the Lollards. Those are the Lollards. And if you go to, if you go to Britain now, there's a, there's a Lollard trail. There's a whole, there's a whole, I didn't realize this until I was, I was really doing a, a, a kind of a deep dive research on, uh, on a, an episode of Odyssey, as a matter of fact, that I wrote about, about this whole scenario, the whole situation. The character Falstaff is based on a guy who was a Lollard. Um, Shakespeare's Falstaff around that same time. There, 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 there's all sorts of stuff that happened, and the Lollards then just sort of disappeared. They, they dissipated because of, of the persecution of the church and whatnot. And I don't, we don't have to get into all that. But um, so I, I, my heritage on my dad's side goes back to to that. 
we, the family joke is that we drop the D in the C. And everybody goes, the D in the C? Yeah, when the C, when we were going over, we dropped the D off the <laughs> name into the C. So, um, so that's on my that's on my my, uh, my my father's side. On my mother's side, we are uh, we are Campbells. We are Scottish Campbells, who um, who uh, are uh, one of my ancestors started what was called the Restoration Movement in the United States Church, which was the uh, going back to first century principles, uh, which out of which sprang uh, the 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 Church of Christ, the Churches of Christ. Uh, and and so one of my one of my ancestors did did that uh, it, it, on that side of the family. And so I grew up in a at a, in a Christian home, um, very steeped on 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 all sides with uh, with biblical truth, with biblical scripture. I I personally accepted Jesus. I came I came to a saving knowledge of Christ in my teens, like many many people do at camp. Um, it was it was a literal mountaintop experience where 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 you know you have a good camp experience, and then uh, and then I. I uh, I, I came to Jesus uh, as, at, at that point, um, or he came to me. He called me into his fold, as the case may be. Uh, so I, uh, but as far as stories are concerned, fantastical stories. Yeah, you know, I did. I never read the the, the Narnia Chronicles until I was uh, an adult. So I did not read them when I was a kid. Uh, but other stories I really liked. I, I had the typical comic book, you know, uh, addiction, I suppose, when I was a kid. Um, um, I, it did get to the point. I do remember very distinctly when I stopped that, though. I got to the point where I was like, I, I'm getting really tired of this. I need to move on to something else. So I started reading much more science fiction. And back then, science fiction was was science fiction. Um, it was pre. Uh, I grew. I, I I grew up when Star Trek, the original series, was first on the air. So. Um, you know, there, there are folks here, probably the two of you in this conversation, who've never known a world without Star Trek in it who have never known a world without Star Wars in it. You know, that, that, that goes a little bit further down. The, and, and so that's their only, you know, that's, that's the foundation for everything that they think of in science fiction. Well, my science fiction foundation was, you know, like Ray Bradbury and, and, and you know, people who, th- those kinds of folks and Heinlein and Bradbury and uh, all of those folks, Isaac Asimov, I would read some of his stuff. And, and, it, and it, was a, it was a different kind of science fiction. It was a different kind of fantasy uh, fantasy and science fiction st- stuff. It was more, um, it, it, it was a lot of social commentary, which of course science fiction does now as well. But, um, but back then it just, I don't know, it just seemed different. It just seemed like the, the, the it was, it was, uh, th- that's the reason I really loved Star Trek so much, the original series so much, because he got a lot of those writers, Gene Roddenberry got a lot of those writers to write some of those early episodes and they really dealt with things in just a different way than we deal with them now. So, uh, I think that's that's probably it. But then I also just love comedy more than anything else. I mean, really and truly, I love comedies more than anything else. And uh, and so I started entering into the fantastical world of like the Marx Brothers and Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. And uh, I, I would watch all of those movies over and over and over and over again. I really wanted to be a comedian when I first when I first started out. I really wanted to be part of a comedy team that just did stuff like that. And I did a lot of that when I was in high school. Did, did a lot of, of comedy comedy performances. So. Um, but then, but then, but then on top of that, there was these, there were all these great stories that were being told, wonderful stories that my, my dad, whether he, whether consciously or subconsciously would introduce me to these fantastic movies. Um, you know, uh, he, he, I watched uh, the very first movie I remember watching was Gone with the Wind, which, which just sucks you right into the story. You know, it's just such a great, and it, 
and that 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 led to a love that I have of the Civil War, just trying to figure out everything that happened with the Civil War and who did what and why that was such a big uh, a, a big important time in American history. And so, um, so it was really it really was it was really history and and uh, those early science fiction things. And then the other thing I really remember when I was a kid is I loved biographies. I loved reading about great people or people who did great things. Um, and so, and I really, I remember reading, I, I read everything I could find on Abraham Lincoln while Bill Hickok was one of my favorite guys. I used to read all about him, Kit Carson, a lot of Western heroes. Um, so, so I got, that's kind of, that's kind of where I came into being the fantasy part of it really didn't, didn't happen until I was, I, re, I remember in high school, Lord of the Rings had a, had a resurgence in high school, huge resurgence. And that was right about when Dun- Dungeons and Dragons first started too. Um, and, and so it, it was like people were blending those, those two things together. And I was like, okay, well, what is this? What is Lord? I don't even know what Lord of the Rings was. I had no idea what it was at that point, but people were talking about it. We had a, we had a teacher, in high, we had a teacher in high school. Uh, one of my English teachers said, you know, uh, kids should be allowed to name themselves. They should go by a name that their parents give them uh, to a certain point, but then they should be allowed to name themselves. And I said, what would you have named yourself? And he said, Bilbo. I would have named myself Bilbo. Because Bilbo I'm, like, I'm like, really? Bilbo? What? And I thought, where did that come from? And I, I didn't know. And he said, oh, you never read The Hobbit? You never? I said, no, I've never read that. He goes, oh, you should read The Hobbit. And then, and then we had another, we had a, my drama teacher, his, her, her, her husband, she married a guy while we were all in high school together. And he was another teacher at the school. And, and for some reason, we, we started calling him Frodo. He looked like Frodo. He just, for, for some reason, I didn't know who Frodo was, but we kept on calling him Frodo. And that name stuck. I don't even remember his real name now because of that name just <laughs> stuck. He, he came to class barefoot, you know. He was, he was a smallish guy with kind of longish hair. He was kind of hairy, had big feet. So they just called him <laughs> Frodo. Oh, that just is totally going to stick. So by the way, uh, going back a few minutes, for those of you uh, steeped in Odyssey lore, that would be the Campbell, not as in the soup company, but as in the county <laughs> right. and the community college. Uh, <laughs> Odyssey, as every uh, true fan knows, is uh, located in Campbell County. And, so that's where you get the Campbell from. And in a pseudonym of one of the writers. Oh, Campbell oh, yes, Freed. Campbell, Campbell remembers Freed. that one. Yes, yeah. very, very yeah. old hybrid there. Uh, when two yeah. writers worked on the same story, yeah. See that uh, that complete guide from the uh, mid nineties uh, did yeah. not go to waste. Uh, <laughs> another uh, brief observation here is that uh, you mentioned Star Trek, uh, Phil. It's interesting that you came into uh, this whole uh, world by means of the science fiction portal primarily, and mm-hmm. only later found the fantasy portals. Uh, listeners, Phil was actually, he may not know this, but he was actually my first Star Trek captain, uh, because (laughs) in that one episode, he played William Shattered playing the captain, uh, in the spoof of uh, Star Trek, uh, which actually did a great deal toward, uh, teaching, uh, reliable scripture memory and even took a dig at, uh, those modern translations. Uh, a rare you know, interdenominational roast on Adventures and Odyssey at the time. So <laughs> that has nothing to do with philosophy, Phil. We're going to get to that. Uh, and I, I guess that I wanted then to ask before we go into chapter one here, yeah, what is your interest then in, in philosophy? Because getting started with science fiction, obviously that's a philosophy often applied mm-hmm. uh, in an imagined future world. Uh, but all these other stories like touch on philosophy in some way, like what does philosophy mean to you and what leads to your interest in that uh, for this episode? Philosophy for me, I've always been very interested in philosophy and history. I've always been very interested. I really desired to have a classical education from the time I was very small. We didn't have money to do it, so I didn't get one until later. 
but when I was young, I, I never really, I never really got one. And I was read, I, I would, I would read about people who uh, are, you know, our founding fathers and people from antiquity who, who had classical educations that could, I always wanted to just be able to speak Latin, you know, and speak Greek and Latin and understand all that stuff, but never, never, never did. And then, and then got, they got sidetracked into show business. So, so uh, didn't really do much of that as far as a pursuit, but I've always very, been very interested in it. And I think that my intro, introduction into philosophy came from the religious side of my family. We would have a great many discussions all the time about uh, religio-philosophical concepts and topics all the time. And mainly, as with most, most people, it's centered around ethics and morality. Um, wanted to make sure that we were doing the right thing and, 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 and being good people and doing what was right. But then it goes deeper than that. Well, where does wrong and right come from? Where do these concepts even come from? How do we even know anything about them? How can we know what we know about them? Well, all of a sudden, you're, you know, you're into epistemology, you're into all sorts of things. How do we know what we know? It was really interesting because as vapid as the 70s were when I came of age, there was also a very strong streak of young people that I was drawn to who also were, were searching. They were searching for lots of things. They were, they were just trying to figure out what was what. They were really, really trying to search. And, and because uh, that was the time when, when the church as a cultural influence was waning, it had gone through its kind of waning period where it wasn't as prominent in the culture. It was the start of a lot of people uh, not knowing basic biblical truths, basic, bi- bi- not even truths, just stories, basic, basic stories. You know, you used to, you used to be able to say to anybody, uh, you'd make a reference to, to David and, uh, you know, David and Goliath or Daniel and the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And everybody knew what you were talking about. Um, because those were those were tropes, those were cultural things that we all understood that you could make those kinds of of references. Starting in the seventies is when a lot of that went away. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't part of popular culture anymore. So it, it, that's one of the reasons why I think uh, Christians, especially, love the third Indiana Jones movie, is because there's so many of those illusions in there. When 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 and, and you kind of wonder, did Harrison Ford, did any of those guys even know what they were talking about when they when they said, "You want me to go back? You want me to go back into the into the lion's den?" He says that at one point, you know, and you go, "Do you really? Do you know what you're talking about? Do you know, you know what that 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 illusion is?" Um, and and I think that they probably did because they were all that. That's what that whole script was about. But uh, but then then uh, you know, jumping forward to when I'm teaching at, at at university, and I'm teaching at a Christian university, by the way. And I make these references. I toss those references into our to just just you know lessons when I'm talking about it, and I, I'll make an allusion to that. And I see I see 25 kids looking at me like, "What are you talking about? What, what does that mean? What are you talking about?" And I'm like, you, "You never heard this story. You don't know the story of Jephthah's Jephthah's vow, Jephthah's tragic. No, what is that?" And then I have to tell them what the story is. And I'm like, "But this? Didn't you guys grow up in the church? Yeah, yeah, we did. But didn't you ever hear any of these stories at all? None of this? No, no." I said. Well, unless we listened to Odyssey, then we heard them. And, then, you know, oh, okay, all right. Well, that, that's good. I'm glad we were there to kind of pick up, you know, pick up the slack. But There I, was I even know. a Jephthah story at one yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, I did Jephthah's vow. And, 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 uh, but but what, was, what was so astonishing to me is that these things were just part of the popular culture. You could say that to anybody in the street yeah. 50 years ago, and everybody would know what you were talking about. That doesn't, that doesn't happen anymore. We're not, we're not there anymore. So... Um, so that, that kind of, uh, that kind of thing was very steeped in my youth. I, I was very, uh, we, I, you know, uh, we had lots and lots of conversations 
uh, arguing. Arguing is what we did. Arguing was the language of my family. This is the language of my people. <laughs> so we would co- go to church and come home and spend all Sunday afternoon just hashing and rehashing what happened at church and what happened at church. And we would do that all the time, all the time. And so when I went out with my friends, I remember very distinctly at one point, we, my, one of my friends, we were all kind of sitting around. Uh, I don't know what we were doing, we were just hanging out. Somebody had a trivia book. And so they were asking trivia questions as part of the, one of the, one of the sections in the book was, um, uh, was Bible and philosophy. And so they would ask trivia questions and I was just, I was answering all of them because they were pretty basic things. And my friend turned to me and said, how do you know this stuff? How do you know this stuff? And it was astonishing to me that he didn't know this stuff, you know? And then a third friend said, well, he's just really well read. And I'm went, I, I don't think I'm really well read. Don't you guys read the Bible at all? You claim to go to you claim just to one to book. Read. Yes. Just one book. Just, just read that book and you'll get all of this stuff. And, and so, so uh, I, I, I never thought of myself as being that way. But again, let me go back to Star Trek. Mr. Spock, who operates off of logic, which is a, which is a subset of philosophy, I, he was like, yeah, I, I get this guy. I get this character. That's it, man. That's the guy. That's the one. He's, he's the, I, I want to do it. And so that became part of my, you know, I kind of absorbed that into my personality too. Was, Let's look at things from a logical standpoint. Let's see if we can figure this out. Let's do critical thinking. Let's do all of that stuff. So I, I, I think I came into the whole philosophical bent uh, just from the religious side of things and trying to think through, trying to think through these issues from the ethical standpoint. When I, when I decided to go to, to school formally and get my degrees, um, I, I, I had created Odyssey. I had gone through, um, uh, you know, done through all, all of that, that stuff. I didn't go to college when most people go to college, when they're out of high school and, and getting your degree and they go off. I decided that I'm going to go, what, what can college help me out with? I'm going to go do it. This is... This is, this is one of the things I, uh, I mentioned yesterday in, uh, in a different podcast, but I'll mention it here too. Um, there's, a line in, there's a line in When Harry Met Sally at the end where he, finds, he says, when you finally decide, when you finally find the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. And so uh, I said, you know, that, I tie that to, I, I tie that to this, this the same thing when you find out what you want to do with your life. When you really find out what you want to do with your life, you want, you want that to start as soon as possible. Get, get busy. Go, go do it. Don't, don't let anything interfere with that. So, so that, that was kind of me. I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do this. I'm going to go do this stuff. I want to write stories. And I want to put stories together. I want to act. And I want to I put all this stuff together. And I want to see how this, how this is all going to play out. And, of course, when I was starting that, this thing called the Internet was just like a twinkle in somebody's eye. It wasn't even, it wasn't even around. And, and, and so were things like, you know, having a whole movie studio in your phone, you know, <laughs> having, having, having a recording studio and everything that you could do, like right in the palm of your hand and you could do all this stuff, all these great things. If we had had that stuff when I was in high school, man, we would have been making films every week, every, every afternoon after school, we would have out there making films. Uh, as it was, we had Super 8, which is like spaghetti. It's, it's, you know, we you have to wait forever and you're not even sure what you got, but at any rate, um, uh, when I went back to school, I went, I went, to, be- I went back to school in my 40s. Uh, I, I'd reached a certain point where I said, I just need to, I just need to have a, now's the time. I need to have a new skill set. I need to have, I've gone as far as I can go with what I know. I need to see what, uh, what formal education can bring. And so I went to school and started, 
to go down the path of let's go the easy route and, and get a degree in something I've already been doing. <laughs> okay. So I, I've been doing this thing for 20 years. Yeah, I can get a degree in that easy. You know? And I'm like, well, why am I here? That's, that's ridiculous. I shouldn't be doing that. I should be doing something else. What else do I like? And I took a philosophy course. Uh, this is at a community college. Uh, when I first started out, I went to a local community college and I, and I was like, I love this. The first philosophy course that most people take is world religions. And so once again, I sat there and I, I was like, oh, I get this, man. I get this totally. I, I speak this language. And then it occurred to me, I'm sitting in the philosophy class, and, and this was the, the very first philosophy professor that I had. And he was awesome. Rudy was his name. I don't remember his last name, but I do remember his first name. And he, he, he purposefully, he purposefully uh, grew his beard and his hair so that he would look like a bust of Socrates. He, pers- he, he purposefully did that. I, I was like that when the community college professors actually cosplay as their heroes. It's, I, it's, I had an astronomy teacher who was obviously trying to look like Albert Einstein, for example. Yeah, but the more I looked at him, more like, okay, you're doing this on purpose, man. You're, you know, you have, you're, we, we can make a sculpture of your head. Um, but, but he was, he was just, he was just awesome. And, and, and he, he said, okay, here's, here are the ground rules for the course. And he, and, um, you know, if you have cell phones, turn them off. If I hear a cell phone ring, you're going to get kicked out of the class um, and you'll fail. You get one, you get one chance. And then after that you fail, because obviously if you do it again, you're too stupid to, to take my course. So I don't need you in the class. So I'm, you know, I mean, he was very, very strict about it. He goes, and here's the reason why. He says, you may think that I'm just being a tyrant, but here's the reason why. In philosophy, when we do this stuff, we're, we're into it. We're into the moment. We're in it. It's right now. We're talking about it. And if something interrupts that, it's impossible. It's really hard to get that back. And so I, we, can't, we can't be doing that. We can't be having interruptions while we're in the middle of this. And so I, I would sit there, and I'm just like soaking this in, and I'm drinking it. And at one point, it occurred to me. Why does this seem so familiar to me? I don't know. I don't get why this whole scenario seems so familiar to me. And then I realized, oh, uh, this is this is worship service. I'm getting a 45 minute sermon here. Ah, there we go. Was there a nursery outside? Did they take an offering at the end? Yeah, I, I, that was what I was I was waiting for. I was waiting for the songs to start and then you know the the offering plate to be passed around. I, I, and I'm like, oh, this is why. This is it. Well, and then I realized uh, when I when I went from the community college over to uh, the university. Um, uh, one of my philosophy, my second great philosophy professor, Heather Batley is her name. Uh, she would send us emails and she would say, hello, seminarians. That's how she would put her, that, oh, that's how she would address us. And I'm like, Semin- oh, it's a seminar course, seminarians. Ah, wow. Yes, of course. Of course. It all, this is all starting to fit together. All of a sudden I'm getting this really big picture stuff. So, I mean, this is a very long-winded explanation to get to answer your, your question, but that's, that's really how I was, I was introduced into all this stuff and really thought philosophy is that I changed my major. I, mean, I went from like communications and all this other stuff to changing my major. And then I said, you know what, I might as well get both degrees while I'm here. So I went ahead and got uh, two bachelors while I, was, while I was working on that. And when, uh, one was in philosophy and one was in uh, radio, TV, film. And then, and then went on to the master's degree where I have, I have half of a master's of philosophy done. And then I got my MFA in, uh, in, in uh, writing and in, in, uh, in script writing. So, uh, so I wanted an MFA so I could teach. And I wanted to teach so I could teach philosophy. <laughs> Although I don't, want to, teach, I don't to do. really want to teach philosophy. I just want to put philosophy in everything that I'm doing. So at the end of this show, uh, we are going to uh, all rise and pass around the offering plate because right. Phil very generously is donating his services because I'm sure <laughs> it ain't cheap uh, going to earn a philosophy degree. Yeah, but you know, nobody I, cares. 
philosophers, philosophers, philosophers don't care about that. Oh, no, that's true. Well, I'm sure, Phil, that your parents were like, you know, hey, Phil, like, there's no money in uh, philosophy. Why don't you do something well, to go like show business? I, I, I wait. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's so strange. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, do, do that fallback thing. Do that fallback thing. Okay, I'm going to do the fallback thing. What philosophy? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. That that'll help. That'll help. That'll that'll. Well, that'll see, I, I love early. the intersection of both of these because the podcast is called Fantastical Truth. Sure. Of course, when you're talking about truth, you're talking as a Christian uh, about Jesus Christ, who is truth, and He's the way, the truth, and the life. And yet, alongside uh, this Christian tradition of developing doctrine and exactly how we follow Jesus, what we teach to one another, uh, has also commingled this tradition of. The Greek philosophy. I mean, the world of the philosophers was the world into which the gospel was sent. And so you often had that kind of some overlap between these ideas. Even as early as the book of Acts, you have the Apostle Paul uh, going to Athens and he is taking note of the idols around the city. And Paul, who's very highly trained as well, uh, is engaging these secular philosophies and showing some overlap. For example, the altar to the unknown God. Uh, but not uh, adapting the gospel to fit this format. He's saying, hey, even some of your philosophers have gotten hold of some of these truths, but I come to you as a representative for the truth, uh, the one who created all truth uh, that you're only grasping at. So Christians can appreciate uh, what philosophy offers, and I think that we can uh, explore some of these elements in our stories, but uh, I think it, it does behoove us to say as a bit of a concession that a lot of people do associate philosophy with paganism, mm -hmm. uh, with that kind of secular religion. And we can explore big questions like, who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? What is the purpose? Uh, the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything uh, without involving divine revelation. And yet Christians who enjoy philosophy like you are saying, no, I, I'm enjoying this, seeing what other people have said about it. But uh, here is a way then that I can apply biblical principles to the pursuit of knowledge in the world around me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I never understood scripture better than uh, after I went through all these philosophy courses, after I took philosophy courses and took a degree in philosophy. Um, it helps you approach things in, uh, see, I, I think that people are, are um, I think that people are scared or nervous christians may be nervous about philosophy and putting philosophy in because of some of the things that you just said which was the pagan part of it but also because they're afraid that if they do a philosophical uh, dive on something that it's going to shake what they've always believed it's going to it's going to it's going to rock my foundations and i don't want my foundations rocked i'm in a good place i, I like where i'm at I'm, I'm in a really good place and to that i always say we should never be afraid of the truth ever Ever. We should be searching the truth in everything. It's like you said, if we believe that Jesus Christ is the truth, which is what he said of himself, why are we afraid of truth? Why? There should be some explanation. There should be something that we can be able to look at and say, wait a minute, hold on. This is truth. This is truth. And it may not jibe with everything I've been taught in my life. But if it is truth, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to march forth in the name of, of, in the name of truth, Jesus. And we're going to find out how this, how this works. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's great, Phil. I mean, that is exactly why I, th this is a little bit of a plug for a upcoming episode, but th this is why I, I became so interested a number of years back in the whole search for exoplanets mm -hmm. and how they are trying to see if there's any other planets out there that are habitable because would that upend our faith that, right. you know, this assumption that God only put life on this planet 
Um, and if we find just one other planet where there's life, well, there goes that entire worldview. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I started thinking like, well, I don't want that to happen to me. So I just, I really want to look at this closely. Right. Um, and same thing with the whole aliens and UFOs, all that kind of stuff. It's like, what could, how could this work with a Christian worldview? And just assuming that it will, yeah. like assuming that whatever we find, just like we, we've explored the oceans, we've explored the, the microbiome of viruses and bacteria, we've explored the quantum world. You know, none of this is disproven the Bible. And so um, I, I, I take that same approach of like, I want to do it, like you said, I want to do a deep dive in this, assuming that the Bible is true and it's not going to be disproven by this. And we're going to find new ways of seeing God's handiwork. Yeah. So yeah, that assumption is really important too. That assumption is very, very important. A, a great deal of philosophy depends on where you approach it from and how you approach it. Um, and that's, that's, that's how we, as we put it when we're studying this, is how we do philosophy. We, pre- we present, we, see, what's interesting about philosophy is that uh, a lot of people want to, to take their arguments or take their propositions, take what they believe, and they're ironclad. And, and I, won't, I won't hear anything against it. Philosophers are just the opposite. Philosophers say, I have this theory, I have this thing, I have this premise, I have this uh, idea, I have this thing, and I'm going to write a paper about it. Here, now take it and tear it apart. Show me where the arguments are weak. Show me what I've missed. Are there any chinks in the armor? What, what is going on here? Show, show this to me. So it's exactly the opposite. So, so again, that, that is not being afraid of, of truth. And philosophers are supposed, you know, the classic uh, image of the philosophers, uh, a guy walking around with a lantern seeking for truth, seeking truth, seeking truth. Um, and if that's still true of philosophers, we have absolutely no reason because we have the truth. We know what the truth is. We have absolutely no reason to fear taking on all of these different issues and doing that, that deep dive. I, I, I will tell you, uh, it's going to you know, be one of those, oh, no, <laughs> maybe, oh, no, I don't know. But Jordan Peterson is a really great example of a guy who did this, who, who's doing yes. this now. He is, he is, uh, he is opening so many, um, so many young men, especially, but I think a lot of people's eyes to think, saying, and in the Christian realm too, in the Christian realm, and we, we of course have to be careful to not idolize him or anything like that. But, and, and, and I think he would be appalled at being made some sort of icon or anything like that. But, but the idea behind it is we, you know, he, he is inspiring, I think, a lot of people to say, we don't have to be afraid to do this. We don't have to be afraid of really getting underneath the surface, finding out what's going on, especially those of us who have grown up in the church and have seen these stories, uh, have heard these stories all of our lives, all of our lives. We know it. We know it. We know what it, we know what it is. Yeah, I know the story. I know the story. I mean, I just did that whole thing with my whole background. I grew up t- talking about this all the time, all the time. and yet. I, I never realized, no, there's, there's a lot more going on here than I thought. There's a whole lot more going on here than I thought. For instance, uh, the book of Genesis is the Jewish answer to Greek and pagan philosophy about the origins of the world. Right, right. You know? the, the, the whole idea behind Genesis is, is this is written as our treatise to show how the, how the universe is not disordered, it is not chaotic, it is not, which up to then, all, the, all these pagan 
you know, philosophies and everything where there are wars, the, the stars are actually creatures that are fighting in heaven and there's a fan tether and, and there's wars. And from that, all these things go crazy. And, and then out of that, then you have the bad guys who are the will to power and this and that, and they come together and they form this and they, they and then they're, and now they're ruling with iron fists and, and there are things that we just can't, well, no, the, 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 the Jewish and Christian answer to that is Genesis, which says, hang on, the universe is not chaotic. The universe is not unintelligible. The universe is very knowable. The universe is orderly, and we can do that. Here's how, it, it, here's, here's how uh, th- this, this plays out. Here's how this whole thing is laid out. This happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And we, we, can, we can actually take a look at that. We get so caught up in the, but 6,000 years versus 100 million years versus a billion years versus 14. We get so caught up in the surface of that. That, that to me, is where, where, where the, the confusion of, of the, the dark side comes in and tries to, to, to get us to, re- to, to, to get so caught up in the weeds that we don't realize what's the, the bigger picture here. The bigger picture is no. This is a universe that God has created. He is, he is a, a being an essence in itself. We, are, uh, we, are, we function inside of him, and this universe is knowable. It's not so chaotic and not so random and not so... That was, that was revolutionary in that, in that, in that time period. That was, that was unheard of at that point. It was like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait what are you talking about? Yes, this is a God who is knowable. This is a God who has made this universe so we can figure it out, so that we can know it. And when I, I was like, wow, when, I, when, you, when you come across stuff like that, you go, that rocks your world. <laughs> that rocks your world, especially if you've grown up. And well, this is, you know, we have to look at the creation story in a certain way. And you have to, and if you don't look at it in that way, you're just going to, no, no, no. I mean, th- there's ways of looking at it that are much, much deeper. And, and we really need to kind of figure out what those are. And, and I think that are, there are a lot of, of, of Christians now who, like, like I said, like me and like you guys who've grown up in the tradition for so long that we're breaking out of that, but we should never be afraid of the truth. There is truth. We should not be afraid of it. Amen. Amen. Uh, for those of you listening, which is like all of you, uh, you're missing all of the hand gesticulations here. If you came for some wonder and excitement and discovery, uh, <laughs> we've got it. And for you Odyssey fans, like you're going to hear a little bit later exactly how uh, this affects uh, some of the Odyssey stories. So whether or not you know it, uh, you've been taught now to explore philosophy through Adventures in Odyssey and uh, other really great, fantastical stories by Christian authors. Let's pause, though, uh, for chapter one. Yes, we haven't even gotten chapter one yet, but this was important foundational content here. Uh, This was the syllabus before we start the class. Uh, Chapter one, I think, uh, Phil, you just kind of set up uh, where you're talking about like uh, some of the traditions that Christians have, which includes but is not limited to uh, our stories uh, that can, frankly, ignore uh, this call to pursue knowledge, uh, that can ignore or assume as having already been dealt with out there by the smart people the big questions. Genesis addresses them, uh, and that's why we go so often back to Genesis 1, uh, particularly 27 through 28, the cultural mandate uh, in what we do at Lorehaven. But many stories do ignore uh, those big questions, and they ignore philosophy. So I just wanted to toss this out to, to you all, and we'll bounce off this for about 10, 15 minutes or so. How can uh, stories, uh, including fantastical stories, just kind of ignore philosophy? Uh, well, I think they, they, they can and do to their own peril. <laughs> um, 
first of all, uh, I, I think I think you have to go really, really. I think you have to be very intentional uh, to 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 not have philosophy in things that you write and do. Now, that goes for any story. There's some sort of philosophy behind what you're doing, no matter no matter what it is. I mean, um, uh, you may not recognize it as philosophy or want to call it uh, philosophy, but philosophy is basically the the love of wisdom. Why would you not love wisdom? Why would you not want that in your stories? Why would you not want some some way of looking at, at something? And if you're if you're writing, if you're th- this goes back to just basic my my whole foundation of stories. Story is everything kind of f- philosophy that I have, which is which is uh, we're walking talking stories. How can we not know what that means? How can we not know how how can we not ask the why questions? Which is basically what philosophy does: is just asks the why, why, why is this, why is this, why does this happen, why is this, why, why? Now, um, this, this is this is a, a kind of a detour. I don't want to say it's a detour; it's related to all of this stuff. But we have what we've what we've got now, and it's very ironic because it rose out of philosophy. But what we have now is something that a lot of um, a lot of scholars, religious scholars, are calling scientism. Uh, so it's it's the idea that the only way we can get knowledge, the only way we can get knowledge that's worth anything, is through the scientific method. You 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 have to you have to you have to use that for everything. And of course that that doesn't work for for everything. The scientific method uh, is a very great tool, but it's not uh, it's not a, a way that can answer questions of 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 a philosophical nature at all. Okay. So and and interestingly enough, of course that 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 statement. That statement that scientism is, you know, science, science, the scientific method is the only way we can get knowledge, true knowledge, is not a scientific statement. That's a philosophical statement. So, so yes, I see a hand. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Jordan Peterson earlier, and he yeah. had a fantastic comment about this yesterday. This was in reply to Richard Dawkins. Yeah. And Peterson says, the fundamental issue is, is a religious substrate necessary and or inevitable? Mm-hmm. Dawkins thinks not. Uh, Hume objects, and then Peterson says there is no certain way of deriving an ought from an is. Right, and, then, and he goes on to explain that, and he says therefore we need axioms of action, hence religion, often in narrative form. And th- this is a very long thing that he wrote in response to Dawkins, but it's so beautifully stated that there's no way to get an ought from an is. Right. Science only tells us what is, right, not what ought to be, not how to live your life. And how to think about your life, like we're talking about with philosophy. And it's so interesting to see this whole conversation on, you know, just in public that it's like Peterson is like this great defender of Christianity against these other great thinkers like Dawkins. Um, and that's exactly right. Science can't say why it exists or why yeah. you should live or anything yeah. like that. It's a great tool for discovering god's universe it's a great tool for uncovering those kinds of things that's that's really really wonderful but to say that it's the end of knowledge to say that it's the be all and end all of knowledge that the only way we can we can absolutely the only way we can discover knowledge that's worth knowing is through the scientific method well try applying that to you know try apply try applying that to how children learn try applying that to you know try you can't apply those. You can't apply that. Well, so conveniently, the logical positivists then said that they grew out of kind of the Wittgensteinian uh, philosophies. Um, uh, they became logical positivists, which said this very thing. 
and and uh, they, they kind of grew out of Kant too with his with with the way he with the way he he handled his philosophy um, philosophical projects. But the idea the idea behind it was uh, conveniently they said, well, if if there's other other things like that, if it's not worth knowing. So so yeah, if we have if you run across those questions, well, that's just not worth that. That's just not a question that's worth asking. The only questions that are worth asking are questions that we can absolutely answer through the scientific method methodology. Yeah. So I saw. I saw a, a, a very a, a podcast, I think, with, with Dawkins on it, and it was, I think, an atheist podcast or something like that. And so one of the questions, of course, that, that, that philosophers ask and religious people and everybody ask is, why is there something rather than nothing? Why, why is it scientific? The scientific method can't answer that question. It can't answer that question. Well, they took that one on. They took that question on when they were talking about it. And here's the conclusion that they came to. Well, it's just a nonsense question. <laughs> It's just a nonsense question. It's just a, you know, it'd be like asking, you know, uh, why, why is a fish not, why is a fish, why does a fish ride a bicycle? You know, it's just, it's just a nonsense question. So we just don't, we, you know, that's a silly question. We don't even want to be like, wait a minute. No, it's only silly to you because you can't answer it. That's the problem. You know, you just, you want to, you want, you want to, so, so, so uh, the thing that we realize here is that the scientific method facts, solid rock, solid facts, there are very few of them that we know. And most of them are tautologies. You know, most of them is one is one. Okay, yeah, great. How, how does that help us in life? I'm not quite sure how. Does that, how does that help me with, in my marriage? How does that help us with relationships? How does that help us know uh, what's around us? How does that help us know what we know? You know, I mean, uh, the, and know that what we know is true. How? How, how, does, how does that help us at all? So, so that, that's, uh, yeah, I, Peterson is, 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 is great at that sort of thing. He's really bringing that, I think, that whole uh, argumentation, that, that, which is a philosophical construct, into the public debate, which is really good. It's, it needs to be back into the public debate. I saw another hand. That was mine, yes, uh, down near the front. Uh, the last uh, <laughs> somewhat philosophical work I read was actually uh, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self uh, by Carl Truman. Hmm. Uh, he's a Presbyterian pastor. Really, really great book. Uh, engaged with a lot of these old... Uh, philosophers who got the whole uh, expressive individualism thing started. Yeah. Uh, this is the idea that human autonomy kind of for its own sake is really the only thing that matters, at least in practice, if not in policy. And he went back to Percy Shelley and uh, Rousseau and uh, some of those writers. Uh, I will admit to you, Phil, I followed maybe 60% of that. When I go back and reread it, I'm going to enjoy that a whole lot more. But it is fascinating because it reveals the philosophical ideas that are affecting stories now. Mm -hmm. I do see now uh, many stories, fantastical and otherwise, that just ignore these big questions or they offer up dumb versions of their best answers, uh, if you could even say that. Uh, and so your answer, I think, to the main question, how can fantastical stories ignore philosophy is, well, they can't, not really. Everyone's yeah. affected by it. Yeah. Um, my other answer there is that some stories by intention are glorifying this expressive individualism, discover who you really are, do what you want, just try not to hurt anybody. Like some right. of that stuff itself is a philosophy, but it's also ignoring the bigger questions. Be who you are doesn't really help because I still don't know who that is or what I am supposed to do. In that case, of course, uh, the movie or popular culture text will be glad to come along and smuggle in this little narrative about who I'm supposed to be. Yeah. But another issue I, I keep seeing is some of the exaltation of stories that are just fun. Stories that are just fun. It makes me sure. feel good. Oh, it's so colorful. It makes me feel good. 
Uh, some of those uh, are themselves a philosophy, of course. It's uh, kind of uh, Epicurean, maybe, or just kind well, of hedonistic there. Hed- yeah, hedonism is where it would be. So. Right. Which sure. is a philosophy. Just live for the oh, moment, yeah. uh, do what makes you feel good. But I think especially among some, uh, some even Christian-made stories, um, I do see this idea that if a story tries to engage the big questions, then that's going to be boring or even preachy. Uh, and that is something that maybe I just never really had as much of an issue with because I did grow up on stories like Adventures in Odyssey, where they were engaging with these questions at an age-appropriate level, yeah. uh, even back at, going back to the, the 80s and 90s. And, and I, I would say even more so now. We'll, we'll get to later some of the, the newer examples about this. But there was always this sense of fun and, and whimsy and adventure and you know, a little sci-fi, a little fantasy, some time travel, biblical history, comedy. All the genres got represented there. Uh, romance as well, which is interesting for me in the late 90s, by the way. Appreciate that, you guys. <laughs> but all of this is, is teaching a philosophy, even if people, the characters are not asking the big questions. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just curious, I guess, then, I mean, even if it's by contrast, like, have you seen stories without picking on anybody that just really does tend to downplay a goal of stories to explore these big questions and, in effect, disciple the reader or listener or viewer. Yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, I, I, off the top of my head, I can't come up with, uh, with any kind of specific examples. And again, I don't want to, I wouldn't want to do that anyway, because... You know, right, it'd be rude, yes. It'd be rude and touch to talk to the writers. But yeah, I think that, I, I believe me, I, I, when, you, when you've gone through a lifetime of doing this, I, I was there myself at one point. I was there like, why do we have to have all of this other stuff? Let's just make entertaining stories. Let's just make them fun, you know? Um, and, and, uh, uh, and then I quickly realized that there, there's no way of doing that without even, even that even that, um, you're trying to intentionally just say, okay, it's just going to be fun. You should, the story's still about something. And if, if, as soon as the story is about something, then you have a viewpoint. You have a worldview on it. You have something that you're trying to say about it. You're trying to say something that happened here and this happened there. And then you have characters who are doing something and they're, they're responding to what the thing that is that, that went on. Well, right now I'm into philosophy. That's it. They have to respond in accordance to what they believe. When you're talking about belief, you're talking about how do I know what I believe? Where, where, where do my belief system come from? Where, where does all this stuff happen? Now you can make that funny and you can make that fun and you can make that lighthearted. Um, no question about that. In fact, that's really, really great. Let's go ahead and do that. That's still, that's still wonderful. Uh, all very, very wonderful. But uh, don't ignore the fact that it's there. Don't ignore the fact that you're still getting something. This is, this is, uh, this is why we need to have uh, to understand the the process of what critical thinking is. This is why we need to understand that. Um, and, and it can be, you know, believe, believe me, I know <laughs> it can be overwhelming and it can also be overbearing. You can, when you, when you finally figure this stuff out, then you really want to go deep dive on it. This is, this is what I had. This is a problem. You know, uh, little kids, when they take, well, yeah. what, what happens is with little kids, when they take karate classes, the first thing that their sensei tells them is don't practice this at home. Don't do this on the dog. Don't do this on your brother and sister. Don't, don't, don't. If I find out that you're doing that, you're going to be in big, big trouble. Guess what? That's exactly what philosophy professors tell their students. <laughs> don't do this at home. <laughs> don't. And I, I ignored that completely. And, 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 and it was hilarious because at one point my, my son and his fiance, now, now my daughter-in-law, we were watching a movie and, and, uh, and I was sitting in the back kind of behind them and then we're watching a movie and, 
and and I had long since passed the time when I could just watch movies and enjoy them as movies because I'm a storyteller and I like to pick storytellers apart. But now add philosophy to that, and I'm back Ooh. there making comments right all the time. Oh, you know what that means? That and my daughter-in-law. She wasn't even my daughter-in-law yet. She was just my my son's fiance. She turned around and she said, "Will you shut up?" <laughs> it's like that. she's the most sweet-tempered beautiful lovely person at all but she was like i've just had it i just want to watch the movie i don't want to have to you know i, I want to so, know what movie it was now i kind of want to know what movie no, it was. i don't even remember and it wasn't supposed to be any kind of deep dive into philosophy but i saw i saw stuff in there this is exactly what happens to you when you get into any kind of a discipline you start seeing that discipline everywhere of course you know and and then of course to a hammer everything looks like a nail so, um, so that's, that's a problem too. And, you know, to a philosopher, everything looks like a philosophical problem or a philosophical construct. So you start taking it, taking it away, but you know, then you got to realize, which is, I think what, what, what Hume, Hume also realized, cause I think he, he got to the point where he was there, there, I, I can't, I can't go any further than that with, with this. He was talking about existence. And I think at one point he came up with the idea of, we don't, I don't know. I don't know anything about this. I don't know. I, you know. I don't think that there's any kind of, uh, his thing was cause and effect. There's no such thing as cause and effect. Okay. Can't, and he came up with a way of what he thought was a foolproof way of showing there's no cause and effect. There is no such thing. And, and he said, but, but I live in a world that thinks there is. And I live in a world, uh, a practical world where we all, we all behave practically like there is such a thing as cause and effect. So I have to just take what I know, bury it and pretend like there's cause and effect. So this is just, just to get along in the world. And, and, and that was always brought up to us also as, you know, you know, if you come across this sort of, this whole thing in philosophy, even if you, even if you think you've reached the end, like Wittgenstein thought he had reached the end of philosophy, we don't have to do it anymore. Um, you know, still just keep it to yourself, keep it to yourself. You know, don't, don't, don't deal with it. Don't, don't, don't do this. Don't practice this on the dog. Whatever you do, don't practice this on the dog. So I always appreciate uh, someone who's into philosophy but is also a little bit self-aware. Uh, one <laughs> thing I noticed in the philosophers that uh, Carl Truman uh, was overviewing, and of course he was touching mainly on their role in contributing to a, a movement of this expressive individualism, but uh, he did kind of note that a lot of these guys had extremely messed up lives. They were yeah. not good to their wives or their multiple paramours. Uh, they abandoned their children. Like you see where the overlap of the bad ideas uh, overlapped with uh, some of the bad relationships. Like to you, yeah. and I think to a Christian approaching these disciplines, we're trying to explore the big questions in order so that we can serve other people, in order that we can better love others, our wives and our families, our churches, uh, and the world more generally. Right. That's right. the purpose of these big questions. And that's right. why stories ought to engage with these questions because stories are about people and people are interested in these things. They want to know what it is they're supposed to do. There are fundamental human longings that philosophical questions can answer, especially when you start from the Bible. And so that's why stories do need to engage with these. Some stories, of course, either kind of assume these questions or they kind of ignore these questions. Speaking of making better stories that may explore big questions in a helpful way, that brings you to our second sponsor, which is the I Write How to Write a Novel course from author E.J. Kitchens. Looking for a fun yet challenging writing class for your teen or yourself? I Write How to Write a Novel is a brand new online writing course that will teach you how to write novels that your friends and even strangers will want to read, how to overcome writer's block and gather ideas, and much more. I Write is taught by E.J. Kitchens, a professional copy editor, former college lab instructor, and award-nominated author of The Star Clock Chronicles and Magic Collector's Books. 
I Write is 30 weeks long. And for any homeschoolers looking for a language arts credit, it is worth one credit. For more information and to enroll before the August 15th start date, that is one week from today, release day for this episode, visit ejkitchens.com slash courses. Let's go to chapter two. How might some stories maybe overcorrect for this? And uh, maybe they want to engage with philosophy. Uh, and maybe like a certain filmmaker was taking some philosophy classes and ignored the advice uh, to do not try this at home or your studio. Uh, Zach and I finally got together and we watched The Matrix, 1999. Uh, yes, All right, yes, so there's some philosophy yes. in there. Oh yeah, uh, and and a lot of people. I mean, I, I didn't even see the movies originally. That's one of those fandoms I just missed out on. Uh, but then, of course, the the sequels came along. And uh, Zach has explained, I'll I'll let you explain it, Zach. You said that the sequels kind of double down on the ponderous dialogue and kind of get a little too much into trying to teach philosophy. How how does that work? How does that maybe a negative example for the sequels anyway? Yeah, I mean, so I watched this in college and it was a time when I was like, I don't want to watch any R-rated movies for a number of reasons. And then... Well, it did make you less of a Christian. I will point that out. (laughs) And then a few (laughs) of my friends were like, hey, this, uh, this whole movie is a great analogy of the Bible and, and of the gospel. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll, I'll check it out. And I was pretty blown away the first time I saw it. And uh, I, I just love thinking about all of the parallels in it to the, to the story of the Bible. But now, you know, many years later, we've seen a rise of Gnosticism in modern culture. And so going watching this recently with Steven, I noticed a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's know, it's the, mixed this, in. This, the syncretism yeah. I mentioned earlier, right. the ancient Greek ideas getting yep. kind of commingled with the Christianity concepts. And then you get this kind of mutant religion. Yeah. yeah. And then there's, you know, there's still definitely the, the Christian aspects. The filmmakers were interviewed at the time and they said all of the symbolism and, and meaning and philosophy and theology, it's all intentional. Like it was all put there on purpose, but there is kind of this smorgasbord of things. And yeah, more recently I, I saw more clearly what people have said for a while, which is that it's very Gnostic in a lot of ways that it's this, um, the, the simplest way I could explain it is that um, the, the matrix is about uh, breaking out of this world that's constraining you by its rules and it's in its oppression. It's a system. And it, I mean, Morpheus says like, it's the system we're at war with. And so there's the a little Bible's, Marxism in there. Yes. A little bit. I mean, that's where Marxism draws from for sure. But you know, the Bible says we're at war with not just the spiritual forces of evil, but also the flesh. And, and well, we're, we're at war with the fle- the world, the flesh and the devil, right? So we're at war with our own selves, uh, the, the sinful nature that's in us. We're also at war with the human system <laughs> that's built on flawed and sinful humans. And then we're at war with an external force. Uh, and you know, the, the matrix philosophy is that basically you're just at war with one of those things. Mm. Um, and that's an incomplete picture. And then, yeah, the, but it's still a very compelling story. It, it's the hero's journey. The second and third movie kind of go off the rails and, and it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, there's these long conversations, like, shouldn't you be fighting and like kicking each other and shooting? And like, <laughs> yeah. Why are you just talking? <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. It's a different genre now. We came for shooting and kicking and Kung Fu. He said he knew Kung Fu. He didn't say he knew philosophy. Did he just get the wrong disc plugged in? Yeah. So I, I think it, it wasn't as artful uh, and, it, and it became too much of the focus of the movie. And then you think back, what was that about again? Oh, it, 
you talk to this old guy in a room with TVs and then free will. And yeah. I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, this is, this is, um, this is a thing that definitely happens to a lot of, of, uh, of philosophers of philosophy students. Um, when you discover philosophy and it is presented to you in a way that is attractive to you so that you, you st- most, most, most everybody, <laughs> You tell them that you talk about philosophy and they run in the other direction screaming. I don't want to know anything about that. I don't stop. I don't stop. 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 No, don't, don't talk to me about that. And and that's fine. That's that's I see, you know, 85 percent of the, of the populace out there. They don't even care about that. It's like you're saying, can we get back to the kicking and the bullet stopping and all that great special effects and the dodging things and whatnot? Um, uh, and and and. So that's that's fine. And, that, and that's all fine. That's why I don't really worry about too much about that. Uh, as far as it's seeping into the general populace, but but on the other hand, that's the, sort of the insidious nature of philosophy. That's sort of the insidious that can be insidious about. I, I don't want to say insidious that that makes it sound evil. It's not evil, but that that's the nature of things when you're when you're dealing with that side of you. That's the nature of philosophical argumentation, metaphysical uh, metaphysical knowledge. Is that it does seep in? It does start seeping in, which is why um, with the book that you talked about, uh, Stephen, uh, that you were reading, it, it, that's why these books are written. These books are written by people, so they say, "Look, look, this stuff is actually seeping into your consciousness, whether you like it or not." This is why the Bible says to be careful of what you're dealing with here. Be careful. Else, guard your heart. Uh, yeah. yeah, guard your heart. Be careful. Be careful. It doesn't say don't look at it, but what it really does say for me is know what you believe before you go into it, because you will have to refute it. You will have to. You will have to. This is. This is. This is quite frankly something that we struggle with. Um, on Odyssey, we have struggled with it in the past. We're still struggling with it. Is how much do we do on these episodes uh, where where we're going to get into the deep the, the weeds, the philosophical weeds here that that need to be discussed? I have an episode coming up where I'm dealing with the idea of look, we have to we have to be able to prepare kids and young people and Christians in general, the, whatever the audience is for Odyssey, however, however that spans across the age range, we, we have to give them tools because they're going to get the stuff that we're about to talk about in their daily lives. This is going to be something they're going to have to face. This is what C.S. Lewis said. Uh, when he, I, that, I don't know if that's uh, apocryphal or not, but the whole idea that he was talking to Tolkien and said, hey, you know what? Or talking to, I don't know if he was talking to, who he was talking to. He said something to the effect of, look, our kids are going to grow up um, facing dragons, so we might as well give them heroes who are dragon slayers. Yeah, you know, it's just that idea. So the, the idea behind this is: look, this stuff is coming down the pike, whether we realize it. It's already there. It's already in. How can we? Yeah. How can we equip our children to say no from a philosophical and religious standpoint? I'm opposed to that thing, and here's why. Here's the arguments why. It's not just because my parents told me so, but because I actually understand this. Oh yeah, I actually understand this in my science classes. Uh, where you're where you're saying that science and religion don't have anything to do with each other, and I can say no, that's not true because I can show you from a historical perspective how science sprang out of the church. It, it was not something that the church ignored; it was something the church encouraged, um, and, yeah. and, and but just using it in the right way, using it as the tool that it is, using it as the correct the correct tool that it is. And so, so what happens is when you get uh, people who are in, in, introduced to philosophy and they really start liking it, 
um, then they go wild with it. They go crazy with it. And um, and and this is something that a, a reputable and good, really good philosophy teachers will tell you in your courses. Don't know what you don't know. Okay. So you may think that you know this. This is why everybody loves Nietzsche. Nietzsche is doing this. And oh boy, that was the one that I heard all the way through my degrees, all the way through the, the classes, everything. Hey, I'm a Nietzsche and I love Nietzsche. I said, yeah, but what did Nietzsche believe? Um, he said this. I said, yeah, but then he contradicted himself like two sentences later. So which one do you believe? Which, which, which one of those is, you know, well, yeah, well, yeah, but that just shows that, that just shows how open he was to this. And I said, yeah, but he's so open that his mind is spilling out all over everything. He's not, you know, you know, the, uh, who was a uh, Chesterton, I think, who said, you know, the whole idea behind the open hand is that it, has, it, needs, to, it needs to close on something. You know, the, a, a mind like a, a mind like a hand is only useful when it closes on something, not not as, just remains open. So your brains seep out. I'm, I'm totally butchering that that comment by, by Chesterton. But um, but it's that, that's the idea. And I, I, I in teaching, um, I, 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 it was a really interesting uh, uh, something that happened. It, uh, we would have these. Um, teachers meetings before the semester begin and we would usually invite a local pastor who would come in and who would talk to us about it and one pastor came in and i thought he he really had a great insight i thought he said uh he said my daughter is about to start at this university and he said i know i know that you all will need to um in in her education to to train her properly you will need to make her question what she has grown up believing Wow. I know that. I know that you'll have to do that. I, I, I get it. That's part of an education. You'll have to do that. So, but I, I ask you this. I, I beg of you this. Don't take her out into the weeds and leave her there. Show her how to get back. Mm. Show her the path to get back. And I thought, man, that is a really great insight because I'll, most professors will take you out into the weeds, secular professors especially. That's what we're seeing now. That's why we have so many confused people. They take them out, question all your presuppositions, get rid of all that stuff, and, and now I'm going to just leave you here. I'm not going to show you the way back at all. Well, for Christians, that's, you know, the way back is the important. That's, that's huge. That's part of the hero's journey. You know, don't just leave me in the ordeal. Don't just leave me in the cave. I can't just stay in the cave. Show me the way back. Show me how to get back. Show me how to do all this. And, and that, that I thought that I really, I really adopted that in, in terms of my teaching too. I'll take you out to the weeds. We can go out there. That's fine. But here, here's a way back. Here's a way that we need to do. And part of that is solid, rock solid foundations in the truth. Commitment, commitment to the truth. And again, we know who the truth is. We know what that is. Never be afraid of that. If you're if you're solid with the truth, never be afraid of that. You may reach a point where you say, you know, I got to got stop thinking about this for a while. I can't think about it, but never be afraid to say, okay, I, I know with the truth on my side, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be afraid of this. Zach, it sounds like uh, that's what the Matrix movies, at least the sequels, uh, which I still haven't seen, by the way, I'm just relying on your view of that. Uh, it sounds like that's what they did wrong. They just took you out in the weeds. Yeah. And unlike the wise Christian mentor, they just kind of left you there. They got all distracted by the weeds because some of them have some real shiny flowers on them. Exactly. And some of them, you know, you can just, um, you know, roll them up into something and uh, smoke them and they taste really good. And <laughs> hey, man, you just smoke the weed and, you know, talk about <laughs> philosophy in the dorm room late at night. And man, those are some good times, man. And it's kind of a cliche now, but that's kind of the impression you get from some of these stories and some of these teachings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just tied the weed back I, I uh, to that you, man, a, a full uh, circle there. 
I, it, it can screw you up. It really can. Yeah. I, I, philosophy, if it's not handled properly, if you don't have really good teachers and have really, really good people who can help you out with this and, and help you to see, seek clarity on this stuff, it can really mess you up. I would yeah, never well, advise anybody to just do this on their own. Find, find a really good mentor. And in so many stories nowadays, they are an expression of a very modern, uh, recent uh, philosophy of culture, which is there's no truth but power. Right. So, you know, Stephen, you talked earlier yeah, about... Except, all is, these... that, is, that, is that like a truth? Right, exactly. Yeah, well, there you, you go. Know, it's a self constructed in a good way. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Right. These yeah. things tear themselves apart. So if that, you them. Exactly. So that's how you find your identity. You know, Stephen, you talked about it. Everything is about identity, identity, identity. Well, how do you find your identity according to this? Oh, you just get power. Yeah. You know, you, either you get it somehow magically, like, you know, like Ray just suddenly knows the force and how to fly a Millennium Falcon and fix it. Uh, <laughs> or you just, about that here. Or yes. you get power by taking it from others. And it's just this very Marxist type exchange of just the only way to get ahead is to, to take it away from someone else. And mm -hmm. so, you know, th these are just very uh, deadbeat ideas that that gets smuggled into so many stories and it's um and you know they, and they don't really wrestle with like the the position they're in and, and how to find meaning it's just it, it's just very temporal you know yeah. there's no transcendence to it uh because there's a belief that there is nothing transcendent that that there's only the material world and so that's where you you end up with these dead ends and that's again that's back to what peterson was saying is that if all you you can't get an ought from an is Mm -hmm. And and so you have to, and the, the interest, the other interesting he said in that exchange with Dawkins was if we get rid of religion, we will lose science too. And yeah. that was a really fascinating thing yeah. to see is that you, you know, science is built on a, a religious worldview. It, it's built on the idea that we are in a universe of order, you know, and that exactly. that's not the ancient Greek idea. And that's knowable. Yeah. Order right. that's knowable. And that these right. are questions worth yeah. asking. It is not a right. nonsense question to ask right. these questions. Yeah. Right, right, right. I mean, the scientific method is what? Uh, you have a hypothesis. You observe things going on and you say, hmm, there, I, I wonder if that's the case. Well, as soon as you say that, what is that? That's a statement of faith, isn't it? Well, how can that be something that's antithetical to religion? I mean, that's the same kind of thing. We see that we see stuff and we want to know why. What's going on with this? How come, how come that's happening? Why is that? And so you're taking your hypothesis on, on faith until you find a better explanation. Better explanation, better explanation. Well, why should we be afraid of better explanations? We shouldn't be afraid of better explanations if they're the truth. You know, the, the truth is what we're, what we're after here. The truth uh, is, is, is uh, the, the most important thing. Um, I think that well, that's, that's, where, that's why, uh, and, and, and again, I mean, when, when you find, that's where philosophy, very much like, my, like the biblical theology, there's, it's much deeper than we think it is, and so is, and so is the philosophy. It's much deeper than we think it is. So when you get a movie like The Matrix, which is just basically vomiting out all of this stuff that I'm, oh, look, I got this. And I, got, I, got, I, got, and, I did and, my homework. And sometimes, sometimes, you know, if, if it's handled properly by a good scriptwriter, it's handled properly in the right way, it can be really exciting. Wow, that's really, really cool. But then you have all these people who are running around outside going, uh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to adopt that. I'm going to be that way. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be, well, I mean, we, we've all seen it and, and, and God bless them. I, I hope that they find <laughs> truth. Um, but we've seen people, I've seen people and you probably have too, who, who live uh, as though Starfleet really exists. 
you know, they walk around in their like, uniforms like and they walk around. Galaxy they, Quest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, they are, they live this, they live, this is real to them. This is real to them. Well, isn't that kind of delusional? I mean, I, I understand no matter how great that philosophy may seem, you know, you still have, you, you still have a living to make. You still have the, you still have to function in the real world. Um, the, the world that we know, the world that we, that we know right here. So, um, so that's and you know, and 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 that that just shows me that people are they're all searching they're all just they're they're trying to find something and when they latch on to some sort of thing that sounds really good sounds really truthful sounds really awesome you know uh, the first thing that they're attracted to is yeah but can I can I do that <laughs> you know can can I lift a can I lift the uh, the X wing fighter out of the out of the bog <laughs> right. can I do that you know because yeah. That's the force, and the force has a philosophy behind it. And I don't, but I don't care about the philosophy. I just want to be able to lift the thing yeah. out of the bog. You know, I, I just, just want the results. I just yes. want the results. Yeah, exactly. Now, another one of those, uh, another one of those uh, pop philosophers that we've seen, and we'll get to chapter three in a moment here. But one of those uh, pop philosophers we've seen has been uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And I'm oh, not going to do a complete uh, deGrasse Tyson <laughs> roast here, but he will so often uh, post things about science. And then a few years ago, he was getting arguably owned on Twitter by a particular account for a product um. called Steak Um. Yes, yes. I have oh, that man. tweet right here. Do y'all want to hear it for posterity? Here we go. Sure. I don't even have the original. All, all I see is that Steak Um said on April the 12th, 2021, this should be a classic for the internet ages. Nope. Science itself isn't true. It's a constantly refining process used to uncover truths based in material reality, and that process is still full of mistakes. Neil just posts ridiculous sound bites like this for clout, and he has no respect for epistemology. So just <laughs> yeah. slow clap, awesome. slow clap, fast clap, all the claps, and, and that, that I'm, I don't wouldn't necessarily call that Christian, but is is at least closer to the truth. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Stay calm. Yes, exactly. It's not already there. Very exactly. interesting brand there. Yeah. Part of philosophy is the idea that evil is real and that it will invade when you least suspect it. That is the premise of our third sponsor, author Michelle Brune, with her books Song Flight and Storm Dance. For centuries, humanity has fought dragonkind in a war to eradicate their evil from the land. Alyssa, daughter of a slayer chief, was already kept from the line of succession by her vocal stutter, and matters only worsen when it's revealed that her empathic abilities connect uncontrollably to dragons. But when her growing powers reveal one dragon's belief in the maker, Alyssa must make the most important decision of her life, remain with her clan in comfortable silence, or find her voice to end the unjust war between the races. A young adult epic fantasy, Songflight and its sequel, Stormdance, look at themes of friendship, justice, and mercy, and following God's calling no matter the difficulties. To get more info, go to michellembruin.com slash songflight. We'll, of course, have that link and all the others for all the sponsors in our show notes or at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. So this is the part, uh, Odysseans, that you're waiting for. You may feel that we have buried the lead. We have not. We have done some essential <laughs> setup because we are going to talk about that whole Eugene thing a little bit for chapter three. How can the best stories flesh out the best philosophy? Uh, Phil's already said that you know great philosophy is at the back of all of the good stories, and I would include Adventures and Odyssey among those. Also, including uh, the new books uh, that Phil Aller and Dave Arnold just wrote, Young Wit and the Phantasmic Confabulator and Young Wit and the Cloth of Contention. Yeah. But as we record this, there's also a, an epic four parter going on 
that is going to probably totally break my heart because I've been an <laughs> almost OG Odyssey fan since the late 80s, early 90s. I forget exactly when. So I've grown up with the character of Eugene Meltzner. Uh, and as we discussed in episode 100, uh, recorded a few months after the passing of Will Ryan, obviously that will probably change where Eugene goes on the show. We are not here to spoil anything, obviously, but some philosophy, Phil Osophy Lawler, was behind the decision that the Odyssey team together uh, made for how to handle Eugene in this four-parter. Uh, when Hal Smith died in the early 90s, uh, y'all had to write him off the show very quickly. He got mm -hmm. a last-minute uh, call uh, to the Middle East, and then Bernard and Eugene get back from the road trip, uh, and he's gone, but not forgotten. See what I did there? <laughs> this incident is a little different, uh, involving some tools and how we think about tools. And why don't you take it from here, Phil, as we move into talking about the great stories over the next uh, about 15, 20 minutes or so. Well, so, I, uh, you know, I have to be careful because I don't, again, I don't want to spoil anything e either. If you um, did, we'd cut it. Uh, we, we're one, strictly spoiler-free here. But one thing I find really interesting, and this is this is a bit of a rabbit trail, but it does it does relate to this. Uh, one thing I find really interesting about all of this kind of storytelling and the fandom and and how this how this um, how this is all playing out is that I know what's going on. I mean, I know what's going to happen. I know exactly what's 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 happening out there. Um, so th this first came to light in the recent Olivia uh, having a crisis of faith. Oh yeah, her little deconstruction. Partner. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we would get letters from people or or comments I'd see posted on Facebook or elsewhere on the fan pages from people saying, "I'm praying that Olivia comes back to God." I'm praying. Oh, wow. I'm praying that Olivia comes back to God. Y'all just hack their it's imaginations. Just, like, You're in there like, like the Nova Box. So <laughs> I'm thinking about this statement. I'm thinking, okay, from a, just from a, a philosophical standpoint, just from just from the standpoint, who are you praying for? You're praying for a fictional character. She doesn't exist. She's not real. Okay, but you're praying for her. To, so how would that happen? Well, it would have to happen with the writers in the story arc that they're creating, making this thing work. But we already know what the story arc is. It's already complete. It's, it's done and not going to change. So all of a sudden, you know, Calvin and predestination, all of a sudden, all this, yes, all this stuff thinking. comes to play, you yes. know? And it's like, well, this is really, really interesting, isn't it? Because we, are, we already know we're, we're in this weird position and again, this is so funny because I was trying to tell the, my fellow writers this. We were going to dinner in Burbank. We were at a recording session. We were going to dinner in Burbank. And I said, here's, a, here's an interesting one. And I started proposing this. And all of a sudden, I got like we had five or six of the writers and the, and the production people. And all of a sudden, they all turned around and they became my daughter-in-law. Shut up! I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> well, if I came at it from the free will perspective, it'd be like, Phil, the prayers of the audience were redirected <laughs> by God, uh, the divine switchboard operator in eternity. And then the consequences went back in the past. So you get a little <laughs> wobbly, wobbly timey-wimey. I, I first thought about this when I knew that somebody was praying for a family member I happened to already know was deceased. Yeah. Well, obviously the prayer was answered no, but even in the future, if you felt prompted to pray, even after the time of death, then maybe there's some effect. I don't know. We know that prayer is effective. It's a means of drawing closer to God, yeah. but God is yeah. still sovereign. But see, it opens up all of these different questions, right? You know, and and they're and they're far more than just the surface thing of well, that's you know this and this and this. Uh, now again, this is this is where philosophy comes in. This is where knowing how to do these kinds of dives come come in. This is where uh, making sure that we understand the the truth of of God's word 
but but doing a philosophical dive on it is really important because because how do we answer these questions? What are we supposed to say about these things? How do we how do we do it? You know, most of the time we just default to the really simplistic. Well, you know, keep listening and keep the keep it in your prayers and God does this and God does okay uh, and, and all that's fine. I'm not I'm not discounting any of that, but for those who who, who are dissatisfied by that, or for those who I, I look at that and say, are we misleading people here? Are we try, you know, are we are we going into a are, are we delving into things that are not our purview? Are we you know are we delving into things? But then I think, well, but we're storytellers. We're, we, we have to tell certain stories. We have to do things in the in the nature of how stories lay out, how stories are are, are done. Um, uh, for us, gives us gives us a a tiny minute, small inkling of what it must be like to be God. You know, you know, I'm, because he knows everything. He, he knows part of the nature of God is he's all knowing. He is being, he is everything. He knows all of us. He exists outside of time so he can see the whole of time at once. And he knows exactly what's going to happen. We don't, we, we have no idea. But like you said, we have to reconcile that with the truth that prayer, prayer of a righteous man effective much. We have to reconcile those those kinds of things. How, uh, I you know haven't got haven't gotten that far yet. Don't know. <laughs> have it's and that's the other thing I think that we have to we have to um, come to terms with is is from a philosophical standpoint. It's okay to have mysteries. It's okay to have mysteries. It's okay. One of the things that I I I, I just recently came across uh, in my own thinking about this whole idea is the idea that I I want. I want Jesus to be endlessly fascinating. That's the one thing that I really, really want. Do we find him endlessly fascinating? Do we find God endlessly fascinating? I think that we have, we have. If I don't want to offend anybody or anything there, but let's just say it. I think we've dumbed it down now, dumbed down the idea, the concept of Christian, so that, so that we don't find him endlessly fascinating. We just turn to him by rote and say, this and that. okay, well, I know I'm supposed to say this, and I know I've said this in the past, and I know I know that this is what the scripture says, and it's, it must be this way. And then people get dissatisfied because, well, yeah, but that didn't really work. It didn't really work for me. I I, I said that scripture verse, and I I claimed it like I was supposed to, and I said this, I did this sort of, that. I did that, and 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 yet it and yet it didn't help. I still feel awful. I still feel terrible. I still feel rotten. Bad things still happen. What happened? How come? Well, I, I think we're looking at this stuff wrong. I think that's where, again, the philosophical inquiry into all of this stuff helps helps us understand. There's more to it. It's not just that surface stuff. It's 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 we're we're compelled to go deeper. We're 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 supposed to go deeper. We're supposed to do the deep dives into this and how this works. And and sometimes that deep dive is really more meditative than anything else. It's really just contem- contemplative and meditative and and and. Uh, and and, and rep- almost repetitive, 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 going over the same thing over and over until an epiphany happens. Something happens. Something something shines. Something shines through. A truth shines through. We find that Jesus has been sitting there, going, "What took you so long? What took you so long?" <laughs> you know. And, and I think I think that that's where where um, where I, where consciously or subconsciously throughout the history of Odyssey, we've tried to do that that sort of thing. We've tried to we've really tried to say. Because I I thought you know in in the creating of Odyssey when I was when I was working with Steve Harris and we were creating and one of the big things was you know this is truly a place this it sounds cliche now but it's truly a place of wonder and adventure and excitement 
and discovery. And, and those things, again, should be endlessly fascinating to us. We haven't discovered all there is to know. We don't know everything there is. You know, and, and it's all out there. It's just, it's, it's just waiting for us. You know, Yeah, we need to be careful of how we do stuff and guard our hearts. And we need to do all of those definite things. But God is saying, it's all here. I'm, I'm here. I'll be your guide. Come on. I'm waiting for you. Let's do this. Let's do this. And, and, uh, and we stop. We stop so quick. You know, we stop so soon. Well, it's gotten hard now, so I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to think about that anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to do that anymore. Uh, I want to go do something else. I want to, I want to, but, but yet, by the same token, we come back to the same stories. And we come back to the, the same. What, what compels us to do that? What, what do we find interesting? This goes back to kind of what we were talking about before with the Matrix. Um, why, why, if I were to say to you, what is it that you love about the Lord of the Rings? What would you say? You know, what, what, what would be a moment that you would pull out of the Lord of the Rings that you would go, yeah, that's, that's the one that gets me every time. I mean, do you have do you have one? Can you think of one right off the right off the top of your head? Absolutely. Well, uh, the return of Gandalf to uh, the the Battle of Helm's Deep, for example, or yeah. the the Rohirrim charging into the fields of Pelennor. That epic feel that brings to mind uh, the ongoing and then future climactic battle of the ages. Like that yeah. story reminds me a little about that story, yeah. uh, the true story. That, yeah. That's why I, I think, love it. Now think in terms of something that's purely philosophical. That that they get you every time in that story, and it's there's stuff all the way throughout there. But can you think of like one moment that just brings tears to your eyes whenever you whenever you think of it? I can think of one right off the top of my head. There's something in this world. There's good in this world, and it's worth fighting for. Oh, that's weird. I was just thinking about that, and the part oh. where Sam looks up to the star, which is uh, actually in the books as well. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean that every single time, every single time. And I love in the film. I love how they cut to Gollum. Right. Because Sam is saying, I think I know. I think I know now. I think I know why those folks never turned back. I think I know what, they're, what they were after. I think I know what they were thinking. And Frodo says, what? What was it, Sam? And they cut to Gollum. And then the Gollum looks up at Sam and says, and Sam says that there's good in this world and it's worth fighting for. And then they cut back to Gollum and he realizes that's not me. That's not me. I look at that and go, man, that is so unbelievably profound. There's so much to unpack just in that little, just in that little segment, just in that little statement. Uh, that, that is so amazing. The, another one that always gets me, it's, it's, it's more emotional and philosophical, but at the end, when Aragorn comes in, they're walking in, and they go all the way through Gondor. They're out there on that beautiful ledge where everybody is, and he's, he's now gotten with, with, uh, with Arwen and and they're all walking past, and, they, and then everybody parts, and there are the four hobbits, and they bow. And Aragorn says, oh, my friends, you bow to no one. I'm tearing up right now. Yeah, yeah, that's I'm good. I'm tearing up right now. It's, it's a meme now as well. It, yeah. It's such an iconic moment, yeah, and, and yeah. it should be. But, but, it, but, but, but let's, let's not lose the, the deepness, the depth of, of what that meme right. should be. Yeah, there's it's philosophy not, there. It's yeah, not, it's not you don't bow to anybody. It's not you don't bow. No, no. It's the smallest things, the most smallest, seemingly useless things in the world are the very things that God uses to bring about his will. This is so biblical. It's so unbelievably biblical. And, and we, and we miss it. We shame the strong. Yeah, no, we miss absolutely. it. We miss it. You know, and, 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 and that's, that's what's that, you know, that's why that's the part of philosophy that we all are drawn to in these works. 
That's where we come back to them over and over. That's why you look at these things and go, wow, wow, what, what, what was there about that that just made me tear up? What was there about that that just really struck me, really, really struck me deeply? I, 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 it had to have been that. It wasn't the chase scenes. It wasn't this. It wasn't. Why, do we, why do we quote, with great power comes great responsibility? Why, why is that the quote that's lifted out of all, out of all the Spider-Man movies? You know, why is this is what we do? This is what we do. Why is that lifted out of, uh, of all the? Because there's deep, deep, deep religious philosophy in that. Right. It's a the way elemental. of life. It's, it's, a, it's a way of life. It's a way of, why do, we, why do we say this is the way? What is that? Why do we like that? Why do we love that? Why do we keep coming back to that? Because there's so much depth to that. So deep uh, that that's where that's where where philosophy and religious philosophy really works well in stories. You grab those kinds of things and you go, if 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 I can hold on to that thing in the deepest, darkest moments of my life, that will see me through. That is truth. That is truth. That is exactly what we're talking about here. Amen. Well, Phil, uh, along with those quotes, I would put wonder, excitement, and discovery. And, and <laughs> so many other quotes from Odyssey along the years. I'm sure it felt like a little thing uh, at first uh, when y'all putting together this radio drama for a fledgling ministry back in the yeah. late 80s, yeah. uh, ba- based on the family portraits drama uh, on Focus on the Family. But that too, especially for thousands and thousands of listeners, has become such a cultural phenomenon and has also led people to these moments of, of, of weeping, you know, happy tears, sad tears, you know, just the, the tears of hearing something really, really profound. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, as I mentioned earlier, you know, recently you've had, uh, basically the, the death of a beloved actor, your friend, mm-hmm. uh, Will Ryan. Uh, and, and now you all are, are dealing with that, uh, with a very unique solution, uh, that has been basically bringing him back for at least a few episodes. And I don't know what's afterwards. Like folks, I don't, you know, he's here in my studio, but I don't know anything anymore than you do. And we don't want to, but right now we're two episodes in two episodes to go. I think I can kind of guess where it's going, but what I did not guess was that there would be a uh, podcast, the adventures and odyssey podcast uh, saying, and this is public knowledge. This is not insider stuff, but if you didn't hear, it'll be a bit of a spoiler uh, that Townsend Coleman, uh, the actor who plays uh, Jason Whitaker, as well as a Ninja Turtle, but that's not on Odyssey. <laughs> he is actually doing the voice for Eugene Meltzner with the blessing of, of Will Ryan, uh, or at least him wanting the character to continue, and, and, um, and Will's a widow yeah. now, they said yeah. in the episode. Uh, but they're using a voice cloning software, at least for now. Yeah. So, very interesting solution, at least temporarily, and I, and I don't know where it goes from here. But as I mentioned, there's some philosophy behind a decision like that, how we use these tools. Uh, Zach and I were talking a few episodes ago about AI and how it will affect creative decisions. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious about like some of the philosophical discussions that I'm sure went into that decision, which, by the way, folks, don't pray about it. It's already locked, in, uh, <laughs> it's already locked into the universe. The concrete is set. Uh, but now that we're here, like, mind taking us a little behind the scenes about some of the, specifically how philosophy affected that decision. Yeah, we had to we had to go back and forth. They had a lot of discussions about this, of course, and 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 just the the nature of the program and what the program is. There there are so many things that go into this kind of a decision, uh, from from um, from just the the practical, the the, the the absolute practical. Eugene is one of the pillars of the program. Uh, all the artwork, all the all the storylines, all the 
concepts, all the you know everything that we do, they include Eugene. They include they include him in, in, in every in every single every single thing. We've had major major story elements with Eugene. We followed his story ever since you know ever since he was first on on the program. He came in whistling for his keys. Um, you know, it was a, he, he was a he was a character that obviously uh, touched many many people. Many people see uh, themselves as Eugene. They see I have, Eugene. yeah, and, and it's his interest in philosophy that, frankly, was formative yeah. uh, and yeah. formative for a lot of people. Not so much computer programming and inventions, but his interest in these kinds of debates. Even the episode "Hold Up" starts with a philosophical debate at the beginning: yeah. Is man basically good and basically evil? And then a basically good man holds up wit's end, which is hilarious. Uh, one of the yeah. best episodes. Yeah. A little home alone ish there too, but yeah. very philosophy has always been part of Eugene's character. And now, very, very much so very much. So I right. mean, I mean, Eugene would say it's all scientific. You know, that's the other debate oh, that we're course. having right yes. here. He's all, he's all, he's, he's strictly scientific. He's strictly scientific. Uh, what I find interesting as a side note here is that so much of the big bang theory, Sheldon Cooper's character, I look and you say, we, we did that. 25 years ago. 100%. So, 100%. Even, even down to storylines, you know, you, you, Sheldon doesn't know how to drive. Neither did Eugene. I mean, this is, this is, this is, a, this was, this was, uh, I found very amusing and I was, I was very attracted to the, the whole big bang theory of plot uh, arc and stuff. I, I get that character really, really well. Um, uh, Eugene was, Eugene, uh, I think was somebody who, uh, so many, like I said, so many people saw themselves as Eugene. They saw Eugene in themselves. They related to Eugene. Um, and so, so in, in, when something like this happens, um, which, which death comes to all, all of us, um, and we have to deal with it in certain ways, then we, we have to think, well, what is the practical nature of this? What are we going to do? How, how is this going to happen? What, where, where do we go from here? And we had multiple, multiple ongoing discussions. Uh, the one thing that we really did not know from a, from just basically kind of a, 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 I suppose a philosophical standpoint is, uh, we didn't want to rush it. We didn't, we didn't want to rush this decision. Um, uh, we wanted to That's think nice. about it. We wanted to, to go through it. Because, as you mentioned, I believe, earlier, earlier when Hal Smith died, we did have to rush it. We, did have, we, did, we had to figure out what we were going to do uh, very, very quickly. And uh, uh, so, so this time we thought, well, well, because of the nature of the way the show has, been, has, has sort of uh, evolved, if I can use that term in polite company, over the years, um, we had enough lead time to be able to say, we didn't have a lot of lead time when Hal Smith died. We have a lot of lead time now. Uh, and so we were able to take more time to, to just try to figure out exactly what, what it is that we're going to do, what we, that we wanted to do. And so from all of those discussions, the decisions, uh, decisions were made about, about where we want to take um, the characters and what we want to do with the characters. And like, uh, as, as you mentioned, I believe also Will himself said, I hope, you know, please, he, he told me this, he told Dave Arnold this, he, he told me in person before he died, that, you know, I hope that you keep the character going. I hope you want, I hope you continue the character's a great character. Um, and I really hope that you keep him going. Well, to do that, how, how are we going to do that? Well, uh, God in his infinite wisdom <laughs> has allowed a technology to develop. Um, right, right at the appropriate time, right in the right place at the right time, uh, that allows uh, allows us to to do to do that. And and this particular technology would take voice samples from Eugene, and then you just you have an actor. Um, you you really could do with this particular program. It was interesting because I auditioned for it, and so did Nathan Hubler. So did a lot of us. So a whole lot of us read through this. Oh, fascinating. Um, okay, and, and yeah, sev several of us uh, took a took a shot at all all of this and. Basically, what we really needed was 
this technology could duplicate the voice, the, the tone of the voice, the way the voice sounds really, really, really well. What needs to happen, though, is, and of course, there's so much more to, to uh, a, a character than just the tone of their voice. There's the inflections, there's, there's the cadence, there's the way, way each of us speak. So we would have to have somebody who really got Eugene, um, what, what, what Will brought to Eugene, which, of course, is next to impossible because Will was just a, an endless font of creativity. He could bring new dimensions to the character every single time uh, that he performed him. So we were, we were really trying to figure out how, how to do that. So several of us, like I said, read, read for this. We, went, we had lots of, lots of uh, different auditions. And then throughout all of that, then they filtered all, all down. And the one who came closest to being able to, to put what Eugene did, what Will did into Eugene, was Townsend. Um, he was able to get the right inflections and th- on things the way, the, way, the, way just a, the way a sentence ends. You know, the way Eugene would end a sentence, that's, that's really important. The way he would emphasize certain syllables of certain words, that's really, really important. All of those things had to be taken into consideration for this to work. And so Townsend was the one. He was, he was able to do it. And it, there's, this, there's, a, there's a kind of a cosmic justice in that, too. Townsend and Will both came from Cleveland. Uh, <laughs> both, of them, both of them, they knew each other back in Cleveland. Uh, you know, so uh, uh, they knew of each other. They both kind of came out to California at the same time. You know, they, they were together, but they both sort of ventured over into show business in California in the voiceover industry at the same time doing certain things. So um, so it was really it really kind of interesting. And, and they knew each other really, really well. And, you know, they were good friends and, and uh, as, as many of us were with Will. Uh, so, so there was a. Th- th- it was really good. We felt we felt really good that we were in good hands with with Townsend doing doing this uh, this this. Uh, uh, I I really like that that it the, the AI is more of a costume that someone yeah. is wearing. Yeah. Rather yeah, it strikes me as more of a, a vocal mocap suit almost. Yeah. It's yeah. the actual yeah. performer in there. Right. Yeah. Maybe they add a little finesse with the animation later, but yeah, it, it is it is human. That's what strikes me is that this is still a human performance it's right. not just typing in the words and then having the the voice spit it out right right like an algorithm right. yeah no it's, necromancy it, involved that's good yeah. no, no no digital no. necromancy that's correct none, none of that none of that <laughs> uh, uh and and it was it was uh, you know it's really really astounding i mean i think the, i think they did a great job there's still little things here and there that you go okay well that, that's not quite there but um but for the most part, I think it's, it's, it's really good. And we, had to, and we had to figure out what we were going to do. We needed to, we needed to have Eugene, a storyline, play out for Eugene. We needed to know what's going to happen. I mean, look, look at where the whole family is. The whole, they just adopted Buck. They, they, have a, they have a whole, a whole family that, they're, um, that we have to, to consider. Buck and Jules have their own relationship that they're trying to do. Right. So well, that's another does, thorny how issue. Does, how yeah. does this play mm-hmm. out? How does all, how is all of this supposed to play out? What is this supposed to happen? Where are they spiritually? Where, where are Buck and Jules spiritually? Are we going to have them do stuff? Is it, is it even possible for, um, for them to, to take these next steps in their lives? Think about these formative years of teenagers uh, trying to, to, to deal with each other uh, on a romantic level and and then on a spiritual level, each of them being in their own different places in spirituality without Eugene, without, without any kind of situation with their, where they're, you know, without their parents talking to them, how does this all, how is this all going to play out? So all of those were, were really uh, long ongoing conversations about what we need to do. And then, then we said, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. Here's, here's how this is going to work out. And I, w- I won't tell you what that is. You have to listen to the rest of them, but here's, you know, this is what, this is what we're going to do. And, and thank God, this technology exists that we can do that. 
we can actually make that happen. I am, I am, you know, just, just to, just to throw the monkey wrench into the works here. I am not somebody who really likes AI. I have made public statements about thinking that from a creative standpoint, this is from the pit of hell. <laughs> uh, which is it's just an, admitted as a, an admitted overstatement, but I've gotten into long conversations with with people, Christian people. Yeah, I've uh, seen some of those. Very, yes, very, uh, very much in the opposite camp, and they really think that this is a, they, this is just a tool like any other tool. And I get that, I understand that, but I think that that where where we are, uh, you know, f- so for, for instance, uh, one of the things in argumentation and debate is. Uh, one of the tools that people use is, is the is the uh, is the nuclear bomb kind of tool. This is this is the the, the rhetorical logical fallacy of the either or choice. It's either this or that, and that's all there is. There's no other. There's no other ways of choosing it. So, um, so, <laughs> uh, and I realize saying that AI is from the pit of hell is an either or choice. Okay, I get that. So I I, well, that's I can, your opening I look, bid. I would that's say my op- it's right. It's my opening right. gambit. It's my opening bid. But, you know, what I get from the other side is, is well, you know, you can't even, a spell checker is AI. So you're saying you can't even use a spell checker? I'm going, okay, guys, can we go from, can we go, can we meet somewhere in the middle of, of, of uh, uh, taking, taking digital, uh, you know, taking, taking digital copies of people's voices and, and making them live on after they're dead, uh, artificially, uh, uh, forever and ever after they're dead? And spell checker. Can we meet somewhere in the middle of those things? Can we can we meet somewhere in the middle of? Hey, write me an Adventures in Odyssey episode about this and this and this and this and this, and then uh, calling it that that's my own, that's my own creative. Uh, you know, no, come on, uh, yeah. and make it and make it in the style of this writer. Yeah, that was Zach's well, fourth suggestion like, in our AI a episode a few episodes yeah. ago. <laughs> and, and the difference is that Will Ryan gave his permission and his blessing on this. That's and, 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 and his estate, and, and his estate yeah. did too. His wife did yeah. too. His you know, Nancy Nancy did did that. We we were and, in long conversations with her, and we wanted to make sure that we were not going to uh, uh, yeah. encroach on that. And, you know, and then and we have you know this this is going to happen, and this is what we want to do, and this is how we want to yeah. do it. And she was very much like, okay, that's good. That, that I think is in keeping with what this Will was. Uh, by, by the way, speaking of good stories that deal with this, this was dealt with in the first book of the Lamb Among the Stars trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like a voice synthesizer software, and there's certain limits that they've placed on it in this, you know, uh, Christian galactic empire. And then a character starts to go beyond those limits. And that's yeah. kind of when evil starts to come back in the world. And it was, it was like one of the first indications that evil had come back yeah. because they went beyond the technology protocols. And uh, yeah, I, I think there's, it, so it, it's just funny, a, a story, that story popped in my mind of like, how do we flesh these out? You know, well, see, and, and my question, the, the thing that I, I kept getting back is, well, you know, how far do you want to take that? And then that's where they would go. You, you, you can't even use a spell checker because that's, that's AI technology. That's, that's, that's artificial intelligence. This is, you, you can't even do that. And my thing is, well, if you're going to be able to do it, so this is where, this is another philosophical, this is where philosophy gets you to think <laughs> this way. The other thing is, would you can go that way, I can go in the opposite direction. How far do you go before it becomes unethical? Yeah. How far do you take this? How far do you go? Do you know where that line is? Do you know where the, the line is that you can say, oh, well, I'm going to do this and this and this with AI, but if I go this step beyond it, now it's unethical. Do you know where that line is? Where is that line? So this is, this is a very old, uh, 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 very old. This is, a, this is the old argument about the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. At what point does he stop being the guy he was? 
okay, first of all, he cuts off a leg and he gets it replaced with 10. And then he cuts off another leg accidentally. He gets it replaced with 10, then an arm and another arm. It's the ship of Theseus. Thesis, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, exactly. This is very old. This is a very old yeah. argument. At what point does he stop being the man he was and becomes a completely different person? Is he still that guy or what? At what point? At what point do we stop here? At what point do you say, wait a minute, hold on. If I take is Sam, Sam going, if I take one more step, I will have gone as far as from home as I've ever gone before. Well, do you know where that ethical line is? How far are you willing to take it? In this particular argument, somebody was saying, I, I, took, I, I did this story and I did this thing. And it's rewriting, it's rewriting The Little Mermaid. Okay. I've rewritten The Little Mermaid. And I'm like, who are you to rewrite Hans Christian Andersen? You know, you didn't say that this was an adaptation or a, an homage or a tribute, or anything like that. You're saying you rewrote him. You rewrote him. We're, wait a minute, hold on. Roald Dahl's books have all been rewritten by these uh, censors that say, oh, it's still problematic. Well, Roald Dahl, he had a statement about this before his death. He said, if anyone ever changes my books, I'll send my alligators after them. <laughs> but he did not want this to happen, and yet people are going against his wishes. So, exactly. You know, I, I think that's, it's, as Stephen said, it's the human aspect that has to be respected. Exactly. So, exactly. But you yeah. see, the, the, there are arguments that come back from that to say, to say okay, well, but I could just do, um, I, the, it was a very, very long YouTube uh, video of somebody who was talking about an animated project that they just did. And he was explaining this, how, how he used AI and he just got trashed. I mean, so many people just came in and they just trashed him personally, just trashed him. I'm so disappointed in you. I can't believe it. I'm out. I'm not going to support you anymore. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. So he was trying to explain exactly what, what went on and, and the misconceptions that people have about using AI technology and how it can actually benefit the single creator, the somebody who is basically a one person shop. Um, and how it can how it can work, and I can see all that. I understand all that. That that's fine. That's great. And I would say, I, I myself, absolutely, I would I would want to use those kinds of things. But then, but then he kind of undermined his his own thing by saying, "I'm creating original content based on this public domain character. I'm creating original content based on this public domain character that I'm now going to call my, my own." And I'm like, "Well, wait a minute. No, you didn't create that character. Yeah, you're not." You're not redoing that. I mean, I understand that you got this public domain character here, and so it's it's yeah. free and open and everything it's like that. You're being inspired by, but, yeah. but but it's not. But it's not going into an AI program and saying, "Create." Uh, I want something completely original in my voice, my style, my stuff. Now you go write it. The machine would probably go. I don't know. And and I suppose that's 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 making the argument for AI. But you're still just taking what other people have created yeah. and now. And now re- redoing it as your own. This is really so interesting too, because exactly. This is really interesting <laughs> too, because um, I think there was. If I, I don't want to. I don't want to get this wrong, but there there was a, a a story from Judaism. I think from the Talmud that's very much like this situation. It, it was an ethical uh, uh, an ethical uh, uh, problem where somebody had created a work of art, and somebody else came along and and enhanced it in some way changed it in some way and they called it their own mm. and the original artist came back and said you can't do that that's my art and he says no now it's my art because i changed it this is this is my art so i changed it and and the courts actually ruled in favor of the guy who changed it wow because they said this is this is part of this is you know now 
so we can we can look so from again from a philosophical and a worldview status uh, uh, this is this is something that as a university professor I had to deal with with foreign students specifically foreign students from China and 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 I re- I recently put this into an Odyssey episode where you have uh, a foreign student see the the Chinese don't have the concept I'm I'm, I'm being very very broad here in general. Okay, but the idea of ownership of in, of intellectual property is not something that they look at and go, no, uh, wait a minute, ideas are ideas; they're they're for everybody. And even if you've enhanced them, even if you've taken the idea and you've done something else, well, that's free floating; it's all around. There's no ownership of that. So I don't have any problem taking a paper that you've written and then taking big, huge quotes of it and then just putting it into my paper and my, putting it in my paper and utilizing it a different way. And there's no and so we're I'm coming back from a standpoint of yeah, but here in America, you have to attribute all that. Otherwise, you're stealing. How can I be stealing? It's ideas, you know. And so I can look at that and say, from that kind of a standpoint, yeah, there's this, there's this overwhelming. It's a different worldview. It's a different way of looking at things. Okay, so I'm not. And, but this is this goes back to the goblins and Harry Potter. I was literally just thinking about them. Yes, it's the same they approach. Make, they, they make the, they don't they don't they they only look at you being able to own something until you die. Then it reverts back to the uh, the goblins because they're the ones who actually made it. You know, the, there is no ownership. You don't get uh, ownership of this. You only get this. In, and there's a certain logic to that because when you think about it, okay, I own my house. I own it outright. I bought my house. But is that true after I die? Is this house now mine in, perp- in perpetuity forever and ever and ever? Or, or, or is somebody going to, you know, my, if I leave it to my son, then it's his house, right? And he gets to do whatever he wants with it, not me. So, so it, there is, the, I, I understand that. This is, this is where philosophy helps us. How do we think through all of these things? What are we supposed to do with this from an ethical standpoint? How do we, how do we deal with this? And then I go back to, again, how far do you take this AI before it becomes unethical? Is there, is there any unethical thing or, or is everything just open and there is no, there is no way to use this unethical? Exactly. A lot yeah. of this too ties in with economics, you know, biblical principles that address this, like, yeah. you know, the worker is worthy of his wages right. or, or right. the idea of, of your labor having worth, which goes back to the cultural mandate. Uh, great stories like Odyssey can help ask these questions and not always give easy answers. <laughs> so there's really kind of philosophy operating on two levels here. There's philosophy going on behind the scenes where you all are making decisions about this and how does this best serve our audience? Is this ethically uh, respectful of the performers? Like all these different decisions going on. But then there's also philosophy questions being asked and often you know, answered to an extent in the stories themselves, uh, some of which, Phil, you've written. And uh, maybe we can talk about those on, on another episode, uh, specifically sure. with uh, the character of Renee Carter. We talked a lot about her in episode 100. There's a lot of philosophy going on in those but at the basic level uh, where we're asking questions about behavior and decisions like Proverbs type stuff, like wisdom literature type stuff. There's yeah. no easy answers here. There's no uh, easy moral at the end where we can say, well, so-and-so should have done this. You know, maybe there's different answers here depending on where your place would be in the story. And I just find those fascinating to go through. Uh, as, as we draw to a close, though, I mean, speaking of buying stuff, uh, Phil and Dave Arnold do have these new books out in the Young Wit series. As for middle grade readers, uh, Young Wit and the Phantasmic Confabulator and Young Wit and the Cloth of Contention. So we're not going to pass around an offering plate at the end of this uh, pseudo-religious uh, philosophy class. Uh, but we will definitely commend those along with the first three books in the series as a, as a fantastic historical adventure perspective on the early years of uh, Odyssey's keystone hero, 
uh, philosopher in his own right, uh, John Avery Whitaker. Uh, we'll have those links in the show notes. But Phil, any other links or places folks can go in addition to, of course, subscribing to the Adventures and Odyssey app uh, for the low price of $9.99 a month plus tax to get you all of the Odyssey archives, including that ongoing resolution to the Eugene story. Where else can folks uh, go to see samples of your work? Oh, uh, they could go a lot of different places. There's fancymonkey.com if you're really interested in the Jungle Jam stuff. Uh, it's all up there. Uh, Jungle Jam and Little Dogs and the Razzle Flavins, Marvy and the Razzle Flavins. Uh, we have their books, their their books that we wrote there too, and there are a lot of episodes and whatnot. And those are those are all just wonderful. I had so much fun. We we uh, we just had a blast writing those and doing those. And there are only thirty of them. You know, there are only thirty episodes. Only thirty. Wow, what a legacy, though. I mean, Odyssey's <laughs> nearing one thousand episodes. Yeah. It's like an yeah. anime show or something. Yeah. But people, only thirty people still listen to listen to those over and over again. So we must have done something right um on those that those those come as close as as close as possible see but but see this uh, so just as a side note th- those come as close as possible to doing things that are just fun for fun's sake let's just be fun uh but on the other hand jeff parker who was 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 one of our partners and then one of the principal creators of, of jungle jam uh said no you know we start every every story with a bible verse and and uh we were we were talking with another very well known, I won't say what it is, but a very well known company at that point that was putting out a very, very hugely popular um, uh, video series. <laughs> and and we're trying to negotiate with them to try to do stuff. And one of the things that they came back to us and said, well, you know, you, you put that Bible verse right up front. We, we like to kind of pepper that in, kind of like to hide it in so that they get the nugget in the middle of the story. And we were like, no, we're very proud of who we are up front you know we're not trying to hide it from anybody we're telling you this is what the bible says now here's a story about that you know this is what this is who we are this is what the bible says now here's a story about that and i always thought that's really interesting and very very admirable i think Uh, you know don't don't try to hide this stuff i'm not ashamed of the gospel of jesus christ this is it this is what we do this is who we are and and if you get past that if you get past all that now we're going to tell you what the story is you're going to be really really entertained and then, and then on the other hand, we, I always tried to, I always personally, and I think that, 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 that we all did, uh, tried to try to insert, um, you know, great quotes from history, uh, modified in certain ways into, into a jungle jam episode. So one of, one of my favorites is first they came for the squirrels and I said nothing because I was not a squirrel. <laughs> then they came for the aardvarks and I said nothing because I was not an aardvark. And then they came for me, the monkeys, and nobody said anything. There was nobody left to speak up, and there's crickets, you know. So, so um, it's it's one of my favorite things. And I, I you know, when it, when I first proposed that, Jeff just kind of fell out of his chair. He thought that was so so funny. Yeah, it was so funny that we were going to do that. And I said, yeah, I, I think that's what we could do. You know, um, one of the, one of the one of the just, just we could wrap up with this well, if you want. But one of the yeah, things yeah, we, always, we actually do need to wrap up because that's got to go. go. I'm so fun. sorry. But just very quickly, one of the things that that I always did from my television watching, people used to think like Gilligan's Island was the most vapid show ever. You couldn't learn. That that was one of the shows that they would, that mothers would hold up as why television is such a vast wasteland. I learned so much stuff from Gilligan's Island. It was not even funny. Just the idea of being able to do the play Hamlet to the music of Carmen. Who else is going to do that? Who's going to do that now? Nobody does that. Nobody turns Hamlet into a musical using the music of the opera Carmen. That's amazing stuff. And so to say that I didn't learn anything from Gilligan's Island, I recognize those things. I still recognize that music because I I heard it first in Gilligan's Island. That was the other thing about Star Trek. I learned the preamble to the Constitution because Captain Kirk said it. And I wanted to know, and he said it so well. 
you know, William Shatner, however his overacting handiness was, he made an impression on me from early on, and I learned the preamble of the Constitution of the United States because he did it. So don't tell me that this is just a vast wasteland that we can't use, and we can't insert philosophy, and we can't at least whet the appetite of young listeners so that, so that when they're going to hear that later on, they'll go, oh, I recognize that. I heard that on Jungle Jam. Oh, I recognize that. I heard that on Odyssey. I am familiar with that. I at least know what that is. Well, Phil, thank you so much for doing what you do with Jungle Jam, Odyssey, and the rest. Uh, we'll look forward to having you back, and uh, Godspeed as you head out into the world. Just uh, be careful where you use that philosophy in the public space. So appreciate it, brother. <laughs> thank you, sir. Thank you, guys, for so much. I really appreciate being on the program. Zach, what a fantastic conversation with Phil. Uh, definitely a formative influence on in my life. And one of the perks of starting a podcast with such a specific interest as this is sometimes uh, you get to meet the uh, the senseis who've helped influence you, uh, whether or not they've broken that sensei rule of doing kung fu or philosophy out in the real world. Uh, I am, for one, glad uh, that we've broken that one rule uh, because I think in the hands of a responsible person, we can help understand philosophy at the popular level. It needn't be locked away in books or museums, uh, statues of naked guys uh, with their chin on their upturned fist. Uh, philosophy is something that Christians know and speak natively. Even the cheap stuff uh, like let go and let God or some of the basic biblical ideas like God is love, like things that we know intuitively as Christians, even if we are very busy, maybe very simple Christians without a lot of time to read a lot of heavy textbooks, those are truths about God. And if we are pursuing those truths for God, for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ, then we are doing, I think, philosophy for good reason. We're not just trying to get all up into the knowledge for its own sake. We understand that truths about God, doctrines, wisdom rightly applied, those are for the sake of knowing him and serving one another. I think that that will help us to handle philosophy in the best, most human ways, uh, not distancing us from human beings like some of those philosophers, especially the bad ones, but actually then sending us back to the human race, not getting stuck in the weeds, uh, but then coming back out of the weeds and being able to cultivate creation, which is the whole point of truth and gospel and all of those things uh, to make a better world for the glorification of Jesus Christ. And for that, of course, you need the gospel, not just truth, uh, but love, the love of Christ that reconciles us to himself. That's our goal at Lorehaven is to find stories that help us do that. And you can subscribe free at lorehaven.com. Look for the little pop-up at the bottom or go to lorehaven.com slash subscribe. That is a free subscription. Uh, you get articles when we have them, news updates when we have them, but the weekly podcast episodes on Tuesdays and the weekly reviews on Fridays as well. You can choose your updates. You will also get your exclusive invitation to our community on Discord. That is the Lorehaven Guild. Speaking of curation, it is a curated community where we engage in monthly book quests through the best Christian-made fantastical novels that we can find, books that we have reviewed, that we recommend. We personally write the questions and go through each book. Uh, this month's selection, for example, is Dust, the Peter Pan fantastical sequel by Kara Swanson. Really great story. Very interesting uh, philosophical ideas in there, as well as uh, Faith Trust and P Pixie Dust. Tisha Messing is doing that quest, and it's probably not too late to join. If you are a fast reader, go to lorehaven.com slash subscribe and enter the guild. Join the heroes. You can also find it, Lorehaven, as of last week, our new review of Vincent in Wonderland. 
Another very interesting crossover in which Vincent van Gogh, the young version of the Dutch painter, uh, falls down the rabbit hole with Alice. What in the world is going to happen in this middle grade fantasy from C.E. White? Our review explains why and recommends this title. You can find that there. Going to skip the comm station here. There may be a few notifications, but of course, it being a philosophy class, we went a little long. We just ignored the bell ringing there. And I think for good reason, fantastic reasons there. However, our next episode will be eh, probably about the same length or so, hopefully very dense, even though it's going back to a familiar topic. Next on Fantastical Truth, the aliens have returned. Well, they never really left, did they? Now, we last saw them in episode 150, exploring the Chinese spy balloon. Uh, we've explored much about this topic in our micro series, Armies of the Aliens. But now in the last few weeks, a whole new official cast of characters has claimed that they too have seen or heard about evidence that they are here. And now I've noticed that there's a common Christian response to this news that has now become a meme. Them aliens are just demons. The aliens are demons. What have we to worry about? It's just demons. Well, are they? Are they demons? If these creatures exist, then are they deceiving us? Or maybe if they have flown all this way across the light years only to be seen or to crash their spaceships, maybe they're just kind of stupid. Or maybe third option, they're here to teach us a better way and reach enlightenment as a species. So let's explore an old topic in a new way in our next episode. Are them aliens, liars, lunatics, or lords? Meanwhile, maybe the word philosophy makes you think of those esoteric texts, uh, just a bunch of people sitting in a room uh, talking about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. Or maybe in this episode, uh, we were able to learn how philosophy undergirds everything that we do. Uh, these ideas are like the atoms and molecules that bind us together. So it is like the force. But like the force, a hodgepodge philosophy in its own right, make sure that you use philosophy for the light side and not the dark side. Do not try this at home. Try this only in a controlled environment like a classroom or hopefully a godly podcast as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth. <laughs>